Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Mel. I'm going to act like I'm the moderator. I don't know. Kurt, or Craig, are you here? Yeah. I- okay. Would you introduce... Um, I went over to the other call, and I just want to clarify, uh, if you listen to this recording in the future, you're looking for caller ID on talk to 143415. There are two Law Jams calls. This is called Law Jams Community Call. And if you are on the other one and you hear this, uh, you want to go for 143415. Uh, we want to welcome you February the 28th, 2017. Um, I'm going to introduce Craig and if uh, Rocco's there. And uh, with that, I'll, I'm back quiet. Welcome to the call, everyone. Hi. I think I'm here. I think I'm here, too. <laughs> uh, how, are you, how are you doing right now? Are you doing pretty good or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm doing better than I was um, um, this weekend. Okay, it looks like you and I and, okay, yeah. I'm doing okay, and it looks like we're recording, so we can either play music, but yeah, I can talk a little bit, but I, I just want to give you a heads up when I do, if I do have to excuse myself, I'll walk away from the phone when I do, Okay. and you know, I'll just be quiet, Rocco should be here pretty soon, um, Okay. let me look here, uh, let me remind him, they were supposed to be at the library. And yeah, I don't he, wanna... he um, Skype me and said he was being rained out on those steps about 25 minutes ago. Oh, rained out? Okay. Down yeah. here, it's beautiful weather. My goodness, it's it's awesome weather. I've had my door open all day long. Yeah. And so he'll probably be coming up here real soon. Okay, well, I won't ding his phone because that'll get him... Um, I won't call him because he knows who to call. But yeah, we're gonna have. I'm gonna have to um, go over to the other call every night because it show every Tuesday night during the law classes. Um, because people are following that call, and one guy was on there, so I gave him the caller ID. So uh, we're gonna have to go over to the other call and invite people to the one four three four one five call. Okay. So there you go. How do I sound uh talking um uh, quality of talking? Oh, you sound yeah, you sound good. It sounds kind of like you're um it, it sounds like you are on a cell phone or okay. a voice line. Is it uh is it um staticky or anything like that or No, not staticky. It's a little bit tinny sounding. Is this audio okay? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear pretty good, so I, that's why I was asking what sure. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah I'm 
doing fine, doing better. But again, if I disappear, uh, it's because I, I'm excusing myself away from the phone because on this line I don't have a, a mute button. I've got to get a headset with a, a mute, on-off mute. Right, all right. Okay. So we got like, uh, what do we got, like three minutes before we go live? Mm-hmm. Right, yep. I just um, hit Rocco out and see where he's at, and he ain't responded yet. Okay. I was um, taking a look at Introduction to the Study of International Law by Theodore Woolsey, published in 1860. Yeah. And um, I'm just kind of reading a little bit as I go, um, trying to get it into somebody. Um, Evidently, it's Treaty Law, Study of International Law. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I use Vitell. But uh, I like to compare Vitel to others, so I'll take Vitel uh-huh. and go page by page and look what they say. Vitel was the found- guy that the founders used on international law. And when you read that garbage, uh-huh. I'm not saying it's garbage to read, but when you read what they're doing in international law right. and, you, and you prop that up against scriptures, it's it's insanity. <laughs> I mean, really, it, when I read Vitel, I was like, this is Vitel's uh, real good too. I'm telling the guy's really marvelous. The guy was one heck of an international jurist. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. It's been a while but, since I've read that, but I agree. Yeah. So he was. Uh, I happen to like Vitel, but the but the way the nations acted and what they were trying to do back then, even back then, is just like wow. I mean, they they knew. I'm telling you, they knew. They knew world history. Yes. The, the founders knew clear back to ancient Egypt and Hebrew and all that stuff. They And they played off like they don't know, like we don't know anything. And one day the founders just woke up and we had to have a Navy and a Marines. And we don't know why the Muslims are doing this to us over in. Right. We don't know why we're having these problems. Yeah, we, don't, we don't know nothing about Rome and the two capitals of Rome and all that. So it's kind of funny that the. It's kind of funny to see that when when that's a straight out lie. I mean, that's like hiding. They knew, man. They knew. They knew. They, they knew and knew more than we could probably get. Even a, a high end law colleges now, Harvard, Yale, mm-hmm. Columbia, whatever. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They don't. To my opinion, they don't teach law like they did back in eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds. They didn't. Their road scholars back then compared to now. Right. Those, those road scholars, those scholars, those guys make these guys look like bums. Really, <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, yeah, I kind of agree with you. <laughs> Even Alan yeah, Dershowitz, the great Harvard law professor, uh-huh. when you look at Vitell and the things that those guys were doing, the founders and all that, and the treaties with England and France and the Vatican and Europe and Islam and Saudi Arabia and Wahhabism. When you look at all the whole picture, this guy's knew more about, yeah, we got a, we got a bunch of scrubs. That's why they walked away from code pleading too, because as time went along, those guys 
on their code pleading system, they complained about the endless amount of pleadings. Hmm. Then as time went along, that was one of the complaints. There's many of them, and it's more technical than that, but as time went along, the understanding of code pleading fell off. Mm-hmm. We, in the 30s, we wound up with this garbage notice pleading. It's just... Mm-mm-mm. Well, we're all alone, it looks like here. It doesn't look like anybody else has dialed in, but uh, let me go back over here to the other talk show. Okay, well, maybe that guy will find his way over here. I'm sure he will. All right. I'm going to send out, uh, while we're sitting here waiting, I'm going to invite a couple of people. Or if you want to get start, well, no, whatever you want to do. And we can edit out, you can edit out the front end of, of this if you need to, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm not too excited, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, I'm cool. I mean, I'm just laid back. I'm from the Ozarks. <laughs> I, li- I like it that way. I just laid back and chill them. Yeah. What was going on today in the um, financial world? Or did you take a look at that? Uh, yesterday I did. Uh, today I haven't. I've been out doing sales and stuff like that. i seen uh, there's a bizarre anomaly going on with gold and silver and oil. There's a relationship since Trump got in office. Mm-hmm. There's a relationship going on there, and it's affecting gold and silver, and... There was a state that just, and there, and, they, and there's other states that's done this too, including Ohio, but it's been on the back burner. There's other states. I'm gonna go to going back to gold. Yeah, they're wanting to yeah. not. They want to convert it from a commodity mm-hmm. to a um, to uh, I want to say it right. 
They want to convert to gold and silver and palladium, platinum, uranium, not uranium, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, other rare earth minerals and metals and stuff like that. They want to convert that to uh, 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 not bar. I can't remember the terminology. It was very specific, and I didn't want to miss a word. So they want to convert mm-hmm. that into an ability to do business, buy, sell, trade, have property, property rights, and um, that was uh, that was very interesting. And um, about and a change year it and from a half, a commodity. Change huh? it from a change it from a commodity. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, a year and a half ago or so, we had a case that came down on gold right here in Ohio. Now we're the heart of it all, kind of deal. Mhm. Okay. Better uh, late than never. <laughs> oh, yeah. good evening, Raquel. Yeah, I'm, I'm here soaking what out of the rain. So, well, what are we doing? Well, it looks like it's the three amigos. Well, oh. yeah, but I want to hear this about the gold because it it has been listed as a commodity. So please yeah. continue, and they want to change that. Yeah, even the uh, we had a case here in a. Um, we had a we had a federal case, and I got the pleadings on it. Uh-huh. Some of them, I didn't get all the complaint. I think I got the complaint, and I got the court order, and some other things and discovery. And it was a complaint filed in federal court from Columbus. The guy as a gold broker had a sign, been there for a long time. State of Iowa came in there and, and complained about the sign, and he's impacting the gold business from you know Westerville to Delaware, whatever it was they were complaining about. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the state of Ohio, the uh, Precious Metals Commission or whatever, said we have a right to regulate the sign. And so you have to have it smaller because we don't want to interfere with gold and silver versus paper money. We don't want that c- competition and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. The court came back and referenced the Federal Reserve and federal law policy. And the lawyer never went and argued that, never went and re-argued that. He never went and argued the Federal Reserve question. Because he probably can't. It's a it's a uh, dangerous question, mm-hmm. and he probably would, could have won. His name's uh, Maurice Thompson. He go to 1851 Law Center in Columbus. He's got that mm-hmm. case on there, and there was a uh, Liberty, the Liberty. You can Google it up. The Liberty Gold case. Liberty. Okay. Liberty because Gold it case. had the Liberty dollars. Is that the one? Uh, no, it, was, it dealt with the sign, but the underlying the underlying part of it was that they had there was gold and silver question about using gold and silver, the sign, the the uh, monetary speech, mm-hmm. and the federal court came back, and I can't remember the the outcome of the opinion. I'll, I'm just I'm just paraphrasing. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. Let me go. You know what I think it has to do with. Have you recent? Let me give you my little bit of input. Um, what uh, POTUS forty five said that uh, all currencies will be we will be on a level playing field, and yeah. it will be sooner than you think. Have you seen? Have you heard that one? Him say that? Uh, no, I haven't heard it. Yeah, he's also said that he would like to get rid of the Federal Reserve. POTUS. 45. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I did hear them say that, and they got that. Mm-hmm. One guy in there that uh, I can't remember his name, Bannon or something like that, or yeah, Bannon. Know. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I did hear that. I actually saved some of that. You're right. Mhm. Yeah. I'm gonna hit uh, date. Let's see. Seventeen, fifteen. Let's go back to fifteen, sixteen. No contract arrest. 
I saved a lot of this lit litigation stuff, 74 Budget Implementation Corner Control Act. So, gold standard. Now, how in relation to oil, what are they saying on the gold and silver, taking it, uh, taking uh, the metals back to a commodity? Because see, the, the the fiat is a commodity at this time. Yeah. Correct. Uh, uh yeah. I I I don't know. It's some. I think it is. I think it is. Well, the thing about the thing about the paper money is that. Um, in reality, what the what the federal, in my view, and the research, and it's not it's not uh, quantum or definitive, so mm -hmm. I'll I'll keep it there. But they use everything they can, including human beings and everybody, to 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 give the full faith and credit. They use everything to back up the monetary system. The assets. Yeah. Uh, well, the debt to income ratio to this. The, to the people versus paper money, it's just it, basically it's over with. But I have read some articles in the past where they were talking about taking the the gold and propping the the paper up. And then now I have an I have a I did some research about five years ago in this. I was real heavy into the Federal Reserve research. And 1954, there was a lot of weird stuff that happened with gold law and the states and so forth. And it's my belief, and I did some videos on this. It's my belief that 1954, the Federal Reserve System was nationalized privately. My belief, at, based on the research. And and if it wasn't, they they probably they very well could nationalize that institution, just like Saudi Arabia did with oil, mm -hmm. and the five five oil sisters or five oil states. And because uh, when they came up with the credit cards and all that stuff in the 50s and f late 40s and 50s, um, mm -hmm. there was some uh, crazy stuff going on with, um, uh, I believe, or possibly um, you had agencies or institutions that war with themselves with internally as to the internal structure and working structure of the government. So what we see, uh, ex what we see, extrovert as the government, I believe in reality, the internal, the actual internal workings of the United States. I mm -hmm. don't think nobody's got access to. I think it's 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 a extremely high security clearance stuff, and and there was a lot, there was some evidence, and there's a lot of evidence, but how much evidence I actually need based on all the categories of areas like mm -hmm. farming, commodities. Agriculture production—I don't have all that, so I didn't go that far because I, would, you know, I didn't want to marry that too much. That would just mm -hmm. drive me insane because it would have a bazillion questions, and I'm one guy I could spend the rest of my life trying to answer all these questions. And at the end of the day, next month my electric's out. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems right. to me that in '54 they they actually seized it. And if they didn't monetize, if they didn't nationalize the Federal Reserve, they seized. All are part of it, and they they took it over. There was something going on in the fifties because remember we had another part of this that plays in this was the uh, sovereign commissions and the anti-communist 
movements. All those okay, things played yeah. into all those things played into the research. There was a lot of categories, but I I don't search it out anymore. I mean, I read as many Federal Reserve publications as I could, and half the stuff's a lie. Some of the stuff uh-huh. didn't make sense to. I mean, I don't know. I just I just said, well, I'm going to stick to court procedures and, and close as I can to litigation because that's a I even got called a monetary objector one time. And I was like, that's interesting. I never heard that before. Hmm. The lawyer <laughs> called me a monetary objector. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I'm not. Not a monetary objector. I don't, shit, you guys are going to do what you're going to do. Who am I? I mean, I'm I'm just a tiny person. I'm tiny. <laughs> uh, so... I laughed. I was like, that's interesting. I thought that was very neat. I was like, you know, I kind of enjoy that now. I think I'll have a drink of beer. Well, the straight constitutionalists, uh, in my in my estimation, you know, they go back to the coinage act. That that may be. Uh, and, and, and I don't thump the constitution, but I do know that uh, we are supposed to have money of value. Yeah. And um, based on. Um, you know, gold and silver. I do know that. Well, that's funny, Mel, because when you look at Vitale and you look at the early Americans and you mm-hmm. look at how they used slavery and they, and the and the way the states couldn't manage money, it looks like it's on purpose. So they surrendered the the control of money from the states to the federal for, to centralize the money. It was like all done on purpose, kind of. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Fourteenth Amendment coming up here. I think in some respect, I mean, if you just look at, not saying they're the same, but if you if you look at how Russia did its farmers and the Bolsheviks, how Germany moved whole swaths of population using one swath of population to another, how they rolled the demographics over, how they rolled the pro- land rights and property over, and you look at, you mm-hmm. do the same with Native Americans, okay. Right. And you do that with Islam and the Africans and the uh, Caucasus, and you do that, and uh, you do that with the Ottoman Empire going up into Europe, bringing people down. When you look at how they roll over demographics, property rights, historically, mm-hmm. I can't. I my my research is pretty solid this way, but it's not definitive because I've never experienced that. And I haven't got to the heart, the true heart of that, but. But there's a lot of similarities to that, where you have, uh, like here in Ohio, they have uh, the the state of Ohio, and Kasich even met, admitted this on video. i got to go back and save the video. It's amazing what he said. He said the politics in Ohio caused the demographic, the massive demographic shift, and that people are leaving the state by droves. And Indiana and the surrounding states have the state of Ohio under siege. And then he referenced the Ohioans as the Truman Show, and they and they do this. They use they use many forms of demographic change and property change to roll the property out. They roll they'll and in my class and the and the historical migration, mm-hmm. it actually has some of this in here, uh, where you had uh, some of the white settlers who were hiding from the government, living along the rivers. You know the government sent. Uh, the so-called government from the East Coast and the the, um, 
the original colony sent people in there to slaughter all, all those people who were hiding out, living off the river banks. They they essentially sized title by extermination of everybody. When you read that, my first chapter of my class, that's why I put that in there. Um, so I, I've had some positive and negative about the class because people are having a hard time relating to why I made the class the way I did because I was like, well, historical migration is important. Okay, so there's uh, how to the book on civil government. They, it's, it spells it out. And then when you actually go look at that, those people, there's historical reference and documents attached to that. I went and looked at that. Like Ohio had a had the first legislative enactment in 1773 and 4, not 1802 or 3 or 1851. First legislative enactment was in 1773 or 4, I think it's 4. And those guys who were sizing title and doing land survey mm-hmm. for the Ohio Land Company, uh, they they got together and enacted the first legislative enactment for Ohio was the Bible. And to this day, it's never been overturned. The evidence of that is religious free exercise or Christianity or whatever it is that you do. So that was the first legislative enactment. And they recognize that it still hasn't been overturned. And there's issues of gold, money, furs, slavery. I mean, it's amazing that I made that chapter the way I did. And here we're talking about this. And it, and it just it, it – you're – question drove me back into the chapter and I wasn't even thinking about that. It's like, wow, I tried I forgot about the chapter. And mm-hmm. I went back here and made that and I read this stuff. And this is one of the problems, you know, we've got to get back to the we gotta look at historically. That's why I go into the insurance yeah. is a big thing, you know. In England they were slaughtering their children for insurance claims because it was so poor and so desolate. And I went back to Babylonian script, the tablets where the first, where they claimed the first insurance contract was written. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know, Nebuchadnezzar, I can't remember who it was, one of the Babylonian kings. Right. I talked about those kind of things. So, and I, I didn't make too much of it, but I went into some history because uh, historically we, you know, we just got to have it, and then the law schools don't teach us, man. A real good law school should be at least 10 years. I mean, really hardcore. I mean, you know what you know. Mm-hmm. 10 years of miserable. That's how long these guys trained at 17, 18, 16, 17, 18, 1800s. And they trained lo- decade, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. And the reason that is because it, the law is so vast and so long. But when you got done, everybody knew that this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, am I saying to do that? No, I'm not saying to do that. I got to get my traffic case fixed. <laughs> right. I got a speeding ticket. What can you do? <laughs> yeah. And I need it done yesterday. Yeah. I'm yeah. Going to of course. Tomorrow. Yeah. But. Uh, I don't know. Rocco, what ha- are you there, buddy? I'm here. I'm here, buddy. What, what happened with uh, our guests, man? That was really important to have them on. What's going on uh, here? Well, we, we tried. We tried to have the Chief Livingston, but uh, we, we just had to deal with what we got. She had some issues with her phone being turned off, real live, you know, stuff, right. as we say. So that's it. We're, we're going to – I'm going to continue to uh, – 
be on there. So and I watched that one video. Yeah, yeah. Please tell me what you were getting. Be kind. <laughs> she gave a you lot can... of hints out, man. What do well, you mean? Well, there was a lot of issues there. I was like amazed. I could stop that. And pl- I if I had that, or if I if somebody had simply typed that out, just took your time, typed that out, and sent it over to me, word for word, and let me have that. I'll break that down and I'll show you where okay. a problem is, and I'll, and I'll tell you where the first problem that caught my mind. I had students that had the same problem that she had, or not not exactly like hers. She's obviously an educated woman, which makes mm-hmm. me. I'm kind of, you know, not to, I got to be fair and neutral, but I'm suspect because she's smart as hell, but how is it that you're not able to refute the allegations in a, there was a complaint filed, and everybody knows, and, and especially in divorce cases, this is why men lose, this is in the class actually, why men they lose yeah, 90% of the time, men never they answer. They don't answer the complaint, right? I know that much. Well, that's basically right. what her problem is. And then from there, even if even if she had the systemic problems keep going, and, th- and then it elevated. I, I caught something. It scared the crap right out of me. The ADA is a hell of a defense and mechanism, uh, without question. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what the state did to her on it. They rolled her over and committed her as a ward of state. And she that's knows that she wanted to stay in collaborative law. She really did. She said that on there. I know, but that's the scary thing about that, man. I was like, that was frightening because she actually became a ward of the state. Combative ward of the state. That's how they flipped that. They they created a fiction, and she had the duty to plead out that, and they did that to her, man. She repeats that over and over and over when I read, when I watched that, I thought, man, I tell you, my my little my that cerebral cortex was spinning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that scared the hell out of me. I was afraid because I was like, God, those people are evil. Hold hold the line. I'm gonna see if I can patch her in. Yeah. Okay, now, uh, hold the. Uh, yeah, hold the spot. Brb. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's where that's where I'm at. Exploring the ADA and advocacy using it as a weapon, if you will. Sorry. Sorry? Don't be sorry. Okay, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> not sorry. Alrighty. Walk the Admiralty plank. Yeah, there's a lot of that going I got an Admiralty book. I rock. I want to talk about. I should do some of this Admiralty stuff, man. But man, that's uh, that stuff is scary. I got an Admiralty book. I got two of them that I've hidden. That was on uh, Google Books when Google Books first came out. Was putting this this ancient law system stuff on here. This Admiralty stuff. Yeah. I got two Admiralty maritime books that Google had removed, and you can't get them no more. I went. I was the first one of the first customers that got them. Some, from what I could tell, some other lawyers and judges got them, but I was like ten in line or something. I I found a I I found a uh, a really copious, um, well thought out Admiralty Maritime books. There was like two of them. There was more than that, but these two stood out. 
and I got this book, and I was reading some of that Admiralty Maritime, and uh, you would not believe the the scent. The lawyers were flipping out how it was being played. I mean, the Admiralty Maritime that they used back then to what people are calling it now has no no resemblance. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, it's nothing like what we're dealing with now versus then. That stuff back then, whew, God, that was scary stuff, right. man. The lawyers, the the barristers, and the high-end jurists were just freaking out about this, man, and they complained. And so Congress had to come in and do things in the back shadows of the government to do stuff about this admiralty. Dude, that stuff is wickedly nasty. And it's a double-edged sword because everybody can seize everybody. That's how nasty this stuff was. Mm. Everybody could seize everybody. You could seize court buildings and everything, but they had a different way to do that. And their forms looked different because remember, it was code pleading years, not this notice pleading garbage. Right. It was a different animal, man. It's those two books are frightening, man. I'm gonna tell you. And I was concerned about that because the chatter in the legal community, because I pay attention, like back then I was paying really close attention to the ABA, the high-end lawyers, the international law lawyers. Uh, I, I didn't pay none of this attention to the Internet stuff and the, and the, freedom, the freedom chasers because they, sure. they didn't give me what I needed in terms of the level of uh, exposure I needed. So it was kind of like, okay. That's great. Cool. I, I appreciate that. But they said there was a big change coming in the law. They said that for like three or four years. It was like from 2007, the Twombly-Iqbal came in, which was the code pleading or heightened pleading standards. I'm so <laughs> from 2004 to 2007, I was heavily involved in this. I was really looking, studying, at, at buying books and Less Westlaw stuff and looking at these other materials, different places. And they said there was a big shift coming. I was like, I said, well, there can only be two shifts. There could either be co-pleading or Admiralty Maritime re-invoking Admiralty Maritime. Or some, well, I take that back. I even thought of it myself and then never spoke this to anybody. There could be another form of law that they could completely create out of, they completely create, been working on for 50 years. One day it shows up. And none of the lawyers, which none of the lawyers could does not know how it works. And then here comes the night the 2007 Twombly Iqbal heightened standard pleading cases, and I was like, oh my god, oh god! I learned that from George, you know, Commonwealth Code pleading. I got his 91 page treatise on that, which is amazing. So he didn't write it, but he got it from somebody. So I got a copy of it, but. Uh, he, so I started, that's where I started out when I seen the heightened standard pleading and the code pleading and fact pleading would come back in. The lawyers, the lawyers, uh, were complaining on writing these white papers and news reports and blogging. They were just complaining and whining because they're so used to that sissy notice pleading stuff. It was amazing. It was shocking to see that, but. That's uh right. Heightened pre- pleading standards. Oh. And the Admiralty Maritime stuff, man, that was, dude. I tell you right now, if somebody had those books and understood them and went and invoked those pleadings in the court, they'd kill you, straight up. 
they would straight out kill you. Because I think that law is still in existence and still in operation, but it's been uh, not used in the way those guys wrote those books. I don't see any of that, anything remotely close to Admiralty Maritime the way they had it in the 17, 1800s to now what people are claiming. Not even, It's not even compatibly close. You can't even, it's so different than what's being claimed versus what happened then. Yeah, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, you, it's, yeah, you could sit side by side and look at anybody's argument, look at these two books, say that's not true, and then pull those cases up. Some of those cases are sealed. Some of those cases, most of that, uh, what falls under uh, intercoastal and international water stuff, right on the land, and how they were seizing and taking property, without without the water elements. They were seizing whole farms and everything, and they did that in a way. Now, whether that was legal or not, is a different question. But the way they did that, that's it. That stuff was frightening, man. And we, there's nothing like that now. Well, but if ever came it. back, I got those books, and, and man, I just the lawyers were seizing judges, man. Put them. The, remember, slavery was enacted, and it was abolished, so-called abolishment of eighteen. Uh, 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 no, I can't hear you, Mel. What? Mel's on the other. Oh. Thing. Remember, they, the slavery was abolished in eighteen. 33 or 32 and 33 they were seizing whole families and judges and courts and buildings and they were seizing each other like it was they thought it was like uh, Plinkos or something <laughs> all right they they seized things we don't we can't even imagine you think the cops seized stuff yeah, they ain't got a they had nothing on that back then there was a lot of murder right and with that being said, looks like it's just us, buddy. So, well, she'll figure it out. It's no biggie. She's on an excursion, intelligence gathering. It's all good. Having fun. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things she said, and what I watched, I was like, man, I was heartfelt for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely. Was, I was emotionally draining. God, I felt terrible after that. I know, I know, especially the one letter to the to her children, my gosh, that was... Three years without seeing her. They compounded the evidence. <laughs> I know what they did. It's called compounding. They compound the evidence, and then, uh, and then, then, because she well, doesn't... Hey, uh, huh? I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm seven and a half years, you know, out from mine, so... Oh, yeah, I'm, my, I'm back. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, you couldn't hear me on my other headset. I tried to call. The call won't go through uh, out of air, out of area or something like that, so it's going to have to be another time, evidently. It's uh, definitely worth li- looking at. That was very Absolutely. Absolutely. She's an expert at this, and, again, it, 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 she, everything that was said on that video was said to us the other night, and it is worth listening to I wish I could transcribe it and um, I know the allegation thing had to be copiously rebutted or or entered alternate facts into the 
allegation there. And the only way to get to that was that either an interview of the child in chambers or mm-hmm. the witnesses and even if even if some of it was partially true, I don't have a clue what the allegation is, so I don't know. Uh I can imagine just by the just by knowing how they operate, mm-hmm. I can imagine there's some twi- so they'll use their mental state to twist and they say, Well, it's just natural progression though, it's just how my mind goes in my brain. This is this is this is part of the fictions in the class, because I got a fictions in there. Uh-huh. And they'll use the they'll use the information that goes in their brain out their mouth and then twist it just so slightly. Well, that's how I view it. Well, let's examine how you view that, and let's take it against the facts. Uh-huh. And that's that copious mind. And I uh, that's what the class is about. That's that copious mind crawling through it, and it's tough, man. You have to. I talk about this every word, every every sentence, every paragraph, every page, every jot and tittle has to be either consented to or destroyed. It's either the truth or a lie, and nothing can stand. Every element, generally speaking, I'm just using there to report. Every element has to be either agreed to or destroyed. You can't miss one sentence. And if a word is out of context, based on the totality of the facts, and there's a contradiction in the word, that opens the toilet to flush the case. That's why I say in the class, one word can destroy a class. or <laughs> One word can destroy a case, but it has to be gone through. Literally has to be gone through. I read that in my, I read that in my case where the officer, nice officer Schilling says, I was, uh, Kirk, came to a stop, did a right turn, and went down the road. And then he changes the, then he changes, this is how the mind works. That's why I put those two memory documents in there. Then he changed, then he turns around lies and says, well, Kirk didn't have a head, he had a, he didn't use a turn signal headlight out. But he never said that coming up the road. That's where he, Mm. he, the officer actually admitted the truth the first paragraph. He actually admitted the truth. And then he suddenly changed the... Then he undermines because he's lying, and I know he's lying. He suddenly changes the truth and now starts creating lies and fictions to to justify in his mind. This is why we examine the mind. He justified to, to making the stop. Knowing he wasn't at the bank, he didn't know if I would call him on it, which I called him on it partially, he was in the court building. Well, he was on the computer probably looking at kitty porn. And uh, then he changes that this thing happened. But he says there was all this positive stuff and nothing was illegal up here. But down here, then he shifts and said, well, there's two things illegal. He doesn't right. say I, I witnessed a car coming up north, north South Street or whatever. And there was a headlight out. He never says that. He says Kirk obeyed the law and no headlights out or nothing. He admitted right up front. That ha- that's so classic of the mind. It's very important to understand. We gotta when when we're talking to each other and we're look when that's why I offer the the four hundred ninety dollar and people think it's a lot of money. Maybe it is to some people. Maybe some people can't afford. It. I don't know. 
But it, it really, when you that's why I offer the trial notebook. It's not it's not going into court. The trial notebook is not court. It's organizational structure and having general conversation about what's in the file. I can't. And that's pay for you. how much, Craig? It's four hundred ninety bucks. And On it's the a lot trial of work. Okay. And I I put it. They send me the stuff. I print it out. I send it back to them in a trial notebook, and I say, here's what I found. And they could take and move stuff around and. They, uh, sometimes I'll leave all of it up front. I'll leave all the tabs there, and I say, let's go through your notebook and tell me what goes where. I have them tell me. I don't know. I said, well, what's tickets? I'll use a tif- ticket example. Well, it's a police officer gave me a ticket. I said, well, who wrote it? I don't know. Well, who authorized it? Said that was good. That was good. That was enough to grant the charging instrument the power. Who said that? They come back and say, well, the Supreme Court said that. And I said, okay. Well, who did the Supreme Court rely on? We go down to all the boxes, and all the boxes go somewhere in a statute. And we break this oh, thing yeah. down. Boom, 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 boom. That's a lot of work. And then when I get done with the ticket, I said, now flip it over. What's the back say? Back says this ticket's good. It's approved by the House Supreme Court, which raises some legal questions. Well, who wrote this ticket? Who wrote the box? Guess what? Here's another pleaded out fact. The Supreme Court didn't write that ticket. They, the Supreme Court paid somebody who's not a lawyer to write that ticket and use a, and, and, and you say this is what you use. There's not lawyers that didn't write that ticket. Those, that was an administrative agency or, or a corporation they contracted out to. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, where can we find this? List uh, where we can find this. Well, okay. any ticket that somebody gets, all they got to do is figure out where the ticket came <laughs> no. from. Okay. Uh, where can <laughs> I find this? Uh, would you give your website out, please? You mean the uh, class material? Is it the class material? Yes, please. Uh, give me a second here. Let me get my... Oh, then Rocker then laughed at me. <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. Yeah. Lawjams.wixsite.com. Lawjams, L-A-W-J-A-M-S, dot... Wix, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com. And that's where you're going to find um, uh, the information that Craig is talking about. If you can't find it, just email us. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get it. No, no, no. You know what? I gave that wrong. Let me give it over. com forward slash my site dash one. That's going to convert over to dot .com soon. So. Dot .com, okay. Yep. And then you can click on home or classes, etc. Please continue. Or you can go to TalkShoe and you can click on it because it is on the face of the TalkShoe. The website is lawjams.wixsite.com. Thanks. Yeah, I'm on... Uh... <clears throat> I'm on um, Facebook too, so. Oh, give that out too. For uh, Facebook is. Uh, give me a second. I'll I'll open this up. Uh, let's see, law jams DIY. Let's see. www.facebook.com forward slash law jams forward slash. That's it. 
you go to okay. Facebook, it should pull up Law Jams D Y I Center or Law Jams dot com Facebook. Um, yeah, and that is on the face of the on the talk show. It, I do have that there. Okay, thanks. Now, what about Twitter? Are you going to get Twitter pretty soon? Uh, I'm, I am, I'm a Twitter kid. Are you? I'm uh, I'm maxed out on accounts and okay. And I. Whew, I don't know if I have the energy to do that because it's just so much to manage all that. And well, maybe Rocco Vanzetti and I can do that uh, for on the on uh, the helping side because yeah. Twitter is about all I do. I, unless you force me to go over to Facebook or you make me, you know, get on. Right. But um, yeah, we could anyway. But please continue. You were what you were going with was. Uh, you know, you were talking about the importance of building our our law case, following making the notebook, right? Yeah. The notebook is important because I mean, having a and it's just not a, about a ticket. There's a lot of areas. I mean, there's administrative, there's constitutional, there's facts, affidavits. There's then you have your motions, and you can make simple. You can make a a general two three hundred page trial notebook. You can make a very complex trial notebook, and then use your notebook, use the notebook as to how you create it, and the and the revelations as you go, and then use the revelations as to filing motions in the court okay. and bearing the prosecutor. Yeah, you know, one I'll tell you, I'll t- uh, this is how powerful this is. And this isn't in all cases. This is some cases. This can very well have this effect. And we're, well, first of all, we got. Remember, we got. It's a spiritual world. We have to remember this. And a lot of some people object to this, but it's a spiritual world. So we're fighting evil spirits, principalities high in the air. We're fighting that. That's the first. Yeah, we're we're in agreement on that. And the second part is we're dealing with mankind. Dealing with right. liars, thieves. Legal murderers, sinners, dope fiends, pedophiles. We're dealing with people that are just like us in many ways. They're just they have taken a system and went astray, or they're real good. You know, they're you know maybe they're maybe they're lukewarm, or they're really cold, miserable, or really good on helping you. I know a judge. Uh, there was a couple of judges. Um, that I met over time that were like that. Judge Froelich up in Columbus. That guy was about due process. I'm going to tell you, he, every chance he got where the prosecutors were committing crime, man, you did not want to be in that courtroom when he let loose on you or the prosecutor. He said, from what I understand, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I, from the the rotating prosecutor on my 2002 case, he sent that, he sent one of his prosecutors to jail. So there are there are judges like that. They, you know, and he don't play games. Or he didn't play games. He was, but he was straight up. And then there was the uh, other judge over in uh, Lincoln County, and I can't remember his name. He was uh, probably one of the few judges in the state of Ohio that had to deal with freedom, the truth movement people that would go in his court. Right. And he, he was a famous judge for uh, among the judges. It's always no. It's always nice to know the judges as best you can, so know their name, who they are. And he went out of his way 
I can't remember Elwood. Judge Elwood. Judge Elwood out of Columbus or out of uh, Licking County. Judge Elwood. Matter of fact, Judge Elwood, well, my student Josh, he went in front of Judge Elwood. Judge Elwood did flip-flop backwards to help that guy. Any other judge would have done that. And when I talk about that in the class, because what what Green did, <laughs> uh, God, we got a lot of problems after that. That was the beginning of our misery. What what he did about fatty and skinny—that's the prosecutors. That's what I called them, right in open court. What he did was, um, he he bait he. They committed a discovery violation. Judge Green said, I'm going to die all your motions, Mr. Green. That's not, you're doing it wrong. There's rules. We've got to follow the rules to have an appeal. You can't, you got to follow the rules. The prosecutors over here, fatty and skinny, are sitting and laughing at him. A woman and a guy, they're just snirking at us. Miss Judge Tingle, or uh, Lawyer Tingle, who's a standby counsel, he's in the back laughing. <laughs> you know, I felt like punching right in his face. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pissed off because I'm like, man, Josh is going down in flames. It's in the class. One thing, just like the 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 case where he was involved in the, and it, me and him had seven cases together worked on this, or there was about seven cases altogether. Not all of them are in the class, but there's three or four of them in the class. Just like the naked case, this guy's just constantly getting in trouble. <laughs> Judge. Elwood asked Josh, he goes, do you have anything? I'm going to deny your emotions, Mr. Green. You, you're, you keep, and Josh kept saying, the discovery of my emotions. And Josh doesn't understand. He's kind of laid back. He's a country boy. It's, he's worked on the farm. They got cows. That's cool. I understand that. And I worked with him and pushed him and drove him and drove him. And we drank too many beers and kept driving him. <laughs> <laughs> true. That's the worst of truth. But, and, uh, he, his mom, Josh's mom, saved their backsides. Nice. There was something in the Jeffersonian newspaper about the incident he was involved in at the same place. Before that incident, that night, that happened at his at that house he was staying at, because he worked at Longenberger as a basket weaver, made a lot of money. Guy made a stupid money weaving baskets. That's funny, Longenberger, that's funny, huh? Yeah. And he's like making seventy thousand a year just weaving baskets. That's like that's absurd. Wow. <laughs> I mean he's, I'm serious, that guy would mean anyhow. And the Jeffersonian, this is true, you can look this stuff up. They 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 did an article and a video on somebody arrested at a known drug house. His mom said, "Did you know he was in a drug house? We're sitting in a we're sitting in the kitchen drinking um, uh, hmm. something from Greece. <laughs> I can't remember. What it was a hard liquor. We're sitting there drinking, and she goes, she comes in, she comes in, she goes, did you guys, did you know you was in the newspaper? Josh says, what? And she brought the Jeffersonian because she was over in um, Guernsey County, that's which is east. She brings the newspaper in. It says, right here, look." He said, give me that paper. We would made multiple copies in case something happened. We made the front page. It was on the front page and down at the bottom or something, or page two at the bottom. I can't remember. But Somebody had got busted there leaving the house. Well, the house we found out was under surveillance. We found a federal, we found a state statute that, that made it a felony if a landlord knew 
the, the county commissioner, I talk about this, this is the power, the county commissioners entered the case, filed a motion, they was going to pay Josh. Hmm. They, if the landlord knew there was drug trafficking or other things going on at that house, Josh was there for his girlfriend. They went out to Taco Bell. He's got to be at work at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. He works from like 4 till 4, weaving baskets, and he gets off work. <laughs> so he's, he went to bed early. He gets up early. He goes down the hill. I actually do video. You can see the hill, the road, the bridge where he was stopped. I showed that all in the video. I, show, I actually used uh, that quite a bit So for context. And he enters that that newspaper article into the court as an exhibit on discovery violations because discovery had stopped. The time was motions were being heard, discovery, everything's cut off. We're going to trial now. We're right next door to trial. And when he entered that discovery that, and done it correctly, Judge Elwood entered it, looked at the prosecutors. Man, he was pissed. Judge Elwood was fit to be tied. He turned two shades of red. He was mad. His, he was so pissed off, his hands turned two co- two shades of white from his fist. <laughs> I'm serious. This Judge Elwood was mad. Josh enters the evidence on the record and says, yeah, I want to air to this newspaper article. They didn't give him that. They didn't have that. But we come to find out later on they, the, the prosecutor had the newspaper article. They're the ones, and the sheriffs and the Southeastern Narcotics, Narcotics Task Force actually made that newspaper article happen. Huh. He says, yeah, I want to enter the newspaper article about pre-existing problems here, and the landlord didn't do anything, and here's the and, – and laid the trap for us, laid the trap for me, and didn't, nobody told me, and here's the newspaper article, man. When oh, they were did, doing a thing then. They were doing a yeah, thing. Pretty kind of, yeah. There was that's actually entrapment. We and we and I'll say we. Josh, I did the research and said, "Man, here's what I found. I don't know." And I left. I just left it on the table and said, "I'm going to go home." And I don't know what he did with it, but he ended up doing more research on the material there that I had already done on, and he went and did some other stuff with it, and then added it or put it in there or cited it. There was two Supreme Court drug cases about entrapment in there. There was there were uh, they were um, doctrinal cases about entrapment and drugs dealt with narcotics. And he went and filed that newspaper article, and man, you could see Fatty and Skinny. They were just every this Mr. Tingle. He's back here snapping, making funny faces. I can hear him laughing and chuckling. And he needs his breath. Breath. I'm like two seats in front of him, and he stops laughing. He didn't think that was funny anymore. And the prosecutors, they went dead silent. They wouldn't even look at him. They they just turned two shades of red. And that's that's that crawling through the facts and looking. We just happen to so on this case here, Josh just happens to get the Jeffersonian newspaper from his mom. She saved him on that. That that one piece of evidence, that one set of facts that wasn't presented in the indictment or the complaint, they dismissed mm-hmm. that and wanted to reduce it down to DUI. They re- they wanted, they dismissed the indictment and it was going to say, we're going to recharge, we'll dismiss if you plead this out to a DUI. So, 
And don't ask me what he did because I have no existential power over that. <laughs> but he laid the groundwork to overcome the hurdles and the evidence. And and you can look this up. This is uh, Guernsey County versus Josh P. Green, Guernsey County, 2004. Well, I'm going to tell you something else they did to us. Some clown pulled up in a van full of stolen stereo equipment. Hey, you guys want to buy this? Come and buy this. We're right in front of the courthouse. There's police running around. This guy's got Bose stereos, all kind of stuff. You know what they were trying to do? Entrap? You You're guys? damn right they was, yeah. Yeah. They were trying to trap us. The county mm-hmm. commissioners filed a motion to join the case. So somebody, I don't say who did that, did the research and found out why that was and and ultimately, they were gonna. There was a paycheck for Josh. There was a. There was a. There was a claim that Josh had. So I can't tell you whether or not he took it or what he did with it. But there was. There was internal mitigation, internal arbitration going on there. <clears throat> then that case, that was negative, kind of negative for Josh because you know he, the way he was, and the way he thought about things. But it it changed. That case had a profound effect on policy. Really? Yes, it did. Cool. Because they were entrapping people. Yeah, yeah. They weren't giving discovery, and and a lot of that changed, when, especially when we got in front of Judge Owen. See, this is the thing I'm talking about, and um, you know the the mindset, of the class. That's why when you get back to the traffic tickets, you got to go through all the boxes where everything, where everything, where that little box goes, that goes to the statute. Rule, regulation, policy. Who wrote that? And then you run that all out. That's a lot of work. When sure. you get done, just on a traffic ticket, when you get done, front and back, you've got a half a trial notebook. And then it opens the door to things you would never catch because you didn't. F- so <clears throat> discovery requests are not enough, so you're doing public records requests. And the prosecutor comes back and says, well, we have a pending case. You're not allowed to do public records requests. I asked the court for an exemption on that. Okay, that's true. Fine. Maybe it's true or not. I don't care. Say, okay. I need an exemption because we're running this out because I think the traffic ticket and its substance is illegal. And they and the prosecutor comes back and says, no, the Supreme Court says that. Well, I have a right to challenge that. Let's talk about this. That in itself will bury. And if there's one mistake in there and you catch it, think of the thousands and thousands of tickets. Mm-hmm. That's the power that you have to making wide change, systemic change. And there is mistakes. I guarantee you there's going to be a mistake in there somewhere. Just because the Supreme Court put its stamp on this the citation packet with five copies doesn't mean all, in its entirety it's legal. Because somebody's practicing law without a license. The Supreme Court didn't make that up. And if the Supreme Court allocated the powers to a clerk, that's unauthorized practice of law. They say, well, that's that's a uh, judicial clerk. They, they're they're lawyers or whatever. Well, I have uh, a right to I have a right to challenge that, and I have a right to know where every one of those boxes go. That's part of discovery. See, that's called administrative. <laughs> and that was Guernsey County, Ohio versus Josh. Josh P. Green. Yeah, he's in the class. Okay. And there's the naked case. We won't go into that. And there's the firearms case. And then there's the railroad track case. And there's the other part that I got partially 
exposed to with the uh, the AR-15s walking up and down the sidewalk. That's <laughs> scaring everybody. Uh, you know, exercising his right to open carry. So there was... <laughs> but I, I didn't do nothing with that. I didn't even look at that. And I didn't want a hmm. part of that. <laughs> I wasn't interested in that. That's just... Some things just don't make sense. I I objected to it, so, but you know I got my own personal brain. So most people do. Yeah. You would think. I said, "Well, I'm not interested. You walking up down the street with an AR-15? I don't like that either. Not because you have a right. It's because you have you have an extraordinary power to kill everybody." He said, well, that doesn't make sense. I got a right. I said, I never questioned that. That set that aside. You have the right. But what if you flip out and lose your brain? You've got 300 rounds of 223 on you, and you start whacking everybody. Oh, that's not going to happen. I said, well, you ever heard the devil made me do it? And he just looked at me and said, that's not funny. <laughs> I said, well... That's the first thing that came to my mind. I said, I, I don't care whether you carry it or not, but I ain't walking around you with an AR-15 on your back. I don't want that tension. Carry a pistol. Don't carry an AR-15. Yeah. Open carry with a 44 judge or something. Do something other than an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine. Or a, I mean, you make me... What's that bayonet open for anyways? Who, you know. <laughs> He said, well, I can. I can do that. I said, well, I got a K-bar. <clears throat> I'll challenge you my K-bar to your bayonet. He just said, uh, we, he wanted to bring back dueling and everything else. He was off this extreme. He's a good guy, though. I mean, he's a hard-working guy. He wanted to bring back dueling. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not interested in dueling with you. I'm not going to offend you. So that's that's, right. that's the power, man. That's and it has to be done, and you have a right. And a lot of the questions have been already asked and answered. So, but you got to go over it anyways. And then once you get, when you exhaust all these things, when you get down to your jury trial and you're writing jury instructions and into your trial notebook, if it makes it that far, sometimes you'll go there, sometimes it won't. And if you somebody exhausts or weighs the pressure on the prosecutor long enough that a deal ultimately comes up, it might be so beneficial you took the deal. So I don't want to do that. I want to win. Everybody wants to win. I, I respect that. Then there's a cost-effect relationship. And then the strain and misery and the research. and you know What is it mm. worth to from, from here to there? What are you getting out of it? That's another problem. That's how you weed out the non-hackers. What's it worth? Worth putting the time in? Yes. If no, are you going to spend 60 years in a chat room listening to somebody chat back and forth, back and forth? And at the end of the day, you're still in the same boat. You're just in there chatting with somebody. You know, there's groups out there like that. So. Oh yeah, we're well aware of those. <laughs> and that, those are the non-hackers. They they talk. They want to do something, but. They'll spend thousands of hours in a chat room or, or belief, but then when it comes down to it, they, they can't put an operation. That's where the classes vastly differ. 
they, not only you can put them operation, you can make you switch the hat to the civil rights. Now you can make vast changes and call and have uh, a large amount of lawsuit and 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 sue on anything and everything without looking like an ass to the court. You know, this guy's being best vexatious. But the but the but the complaint has merit. It's just still vexatious. <laughs> so there's vexatious good complaint and vexatious no merit. So you got two forms of vexation. There might be other categories of vexation, but this guy's just dogging them left, next, and next. So you do two or three federal lawsuits, boom, 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 within a two or three year period of time. The judges, oh, well, we got an ongoing problem, but if you do them like three of them within a year, they're just thinking, well, wait a minute. Because each, on average, you're going to have a hundred and. I kept. I was barely able to keep mine down to 110 pleadings. Many times they'll go to 300 filings in one case. You'll have 300 uh, motions, court papers, all kind of exhibits, whatever. You'll have three, four, you'll have three. I've seen an ACLU case. They had 800 documents filed in that case. 800. Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, I estimated over 10,000 pages. How the hell are you going to go through 10,000 pages? <laughs> You're the <not>. pages. <laughs> that's what, that's, so you weed out the non-hackers and, you know, the. And that's, well, you I know, have Jeff class. Huh? You know, though, that's how that uh, uh, Judicial Watch guy, <laughs> you ought to see the documents on his website, judicialwatch.org. Yeah. Talk about 10,000 pages. That's how he got, uh, what's her name? He got all the the FOIAs on what's her name? Big yeah, time. He, he made a god-awful lot of money on those FOIA requests, legal services fees. God. Oh, yeah. My God, they oh, yeah. made stupid money. But the thing about it is, I always, and, and I get denied a lot, but I always put in that it is for the good of the public and it, you know, I want I want the the cost to be waived for me because it's for the good of the public. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, I I used to do that too and I finally gave up on it so I'll just start paying them. But then if they say, "Well, we want 25 cents." Now I can raise that issue. Cuz over here they want 10 cents. And the state mm-hmm. law says 10 to 15 cents and you want 25. Well, let's go litigate that question. <laughs> and if I get the documents, that's $1,000, $100 a day. And if it goes 30, th- 30 days, that's three grand. Write me a check. No, let me tell you. I, I pulled an article. I post a lot of articles, okay? There was an article published that the Fat Butts Incorporated personally, I, I mean, they purposely, uh, I, I'm correcting myself, the agency of the FBI purposely uh, did things to discourage people. You know, they didn't, they weren't completely dishonest. They just weren't completely honest, and I'm paraphrasing that story. But they did everything that they could to withhold evidence that was asked for, and that was published in well within the last year. And I can back that up because I I can find that story. But they were purposely doing that. So if that agency was doing it, you know other agencies do it too. Yeah, that's they do that. Especially if you're in trial, and the judge says, "Well, I can't do nothing about it." 
Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. I'm entitled to this evidence. The prosecutor won't give it to me. I want a court order for sanctions against the prosecutor, and I want that. I want a, Here's my subpoena compelling the discovery, and I want this court to hear it. We're going to have. Okay. Here's here's some of the problem we get in the national security stuff, man. You got to have your. That's a big problem. I, even for myself, that's an enormous task to understand and be able to even walk, talk, and chew national security. Because if there's one sentence in there, that's a national security problem. Whether it's secret I, uh, uh, Federal Reserve stuff or whatever it is, IRS or the, there's an the account in the Bahamas or the Cayman Islands. I'm a manu- mm-hmm. truck manufacturer or something. Who knows? The national security stuff is is hard, very difficult. They, in, they invoke the national security yeah. so they don't have to give you the information, right? Yeah. I got a lot of material on it. I mean, I got a lot. I, I, mm-hmm. For a long time I looked at that because I was really interested in that. State secrets. I have a lot of material on state secret stuff, but it's just... I mean, you have to almost pull every, or pull, I don't say every, but pull a lot of cases from PACER or from Electronic Frontier Foundation or Judicial mm-hmm. Watch or somebody that's arguing like uh, drone killings in Afghanistan or something where there's they're invoking FISA and national security secrecy stuff. and you got to argue the law on that, and that's just, I just, I don't want to operate there because it's, it's it's a ninety percent uphill losing battle a lot of times, and but I try to follow people who have been successful that way, and look what they how they argued that, and right. so in the class here's another example of this and it's kind of switching gears here. I'm going to open the class up here. There's a chapter in here called Chapter Twenty Twenty Six. Winning transcripts. Uh, so I took another class had winning transcripts. Somebody had won in a case, or par- excuse me, had partially won something, or got something done in a, in a in a case. That was their chapter, and I said that's great. But for me, I was like, I need something more. There's something missing of what you know. This winning transcript's great, but. I started looking at all the Supreme Court transcripts. I want to share this. This is how easy this is. <clears throat> Supreme Court on SCOTUS blog has all these transcripts of the arguments between the lawyers back and forth, back and forth. Okay. Well, let's say you find a case that's right on point to your situation. You go download the transcript, and you simply start writing off of your case or writing off that transcript into your case. Think about that. Yeah. You got a winning dissent. You got a winning decision here in the U.S. Supreme Court, like the um, Anton Jones case with GPS te- technical common law trespass. When you read that, and that's in here. When you read that, and look at how they how they viewed what Scalia said about the license plate. They made fun of us too. There, there. You go look at Anton Jones and listen to. The MP3, I listen to that kind of material. I mean, I go and go listen to the Supreme Court arguments about cases when the question's back and forth. Scalia and, and um, it wasn't Roberts. It might have been Roberts. It could have been Rehnquist, but I know it was uh, Roberts. Scalia and Roberts and 
Kennedy and the other ones uh, kind of snickered at, uh, don't give me that liberty or death. And I thought I owned the car, and it's a license plate. They argued, they literally made that reference. They're paying attention to mm-hmm. the they're paying attention to the people who are complaining about the license plate and the right to travel. That's in the Anton Jones case. You go to the Supreme Court, SCOTUS blog, download the MP3, it's in there. Well, you find a transcript, and you take the, the winning issues, and you apply it to your case. Okay, I'm there right now. For, just for an example, I went to supremecourt.gov. And I'm in the dockets now. I put in Anton Jones in the search. So, okay, then I've got seven items found, okay? And these are all the dockets. So um, there's a master. So where do I go from here? Case document. Uh, are you in SCOTUS blog? Yeah, supremecourt.gov. Well, um, okay, I'll, let me go there and look. Okay. I'll, tell you because i thought it was in scotus blog so i'll go to welcome guest five whoever you are welcome to the call we didn't notice but welcome (laughs) you want to speak up um it looks like you're on the computer he's on the computer so that's fine but if you want to speak up please do go to 2014 steve you never know Okay, I've got supremecourt.gov. I see where there's oral arguments, uh, case documents, rules and guidance, opinions. I posted the link in the chat, TalkShoe chat. You guys hear me? Plain English holding the defendant's conviction of drug trafficking must be reversed when some of the evidence to convict him was obtained through GPS tracking. Here's the link right here. Okay. Now there's a MP3 somewhere attached to this because they changed they cha- they literally changed this the site around. So it, MP3. There's the uh, the opinion. Let me get to the uh, question presented. And you can download all the pleadings to this. So, argument. Go to term Somewhere there is there is a um in this case on one link somehow there's a uh, MP3 you can download so it might be on the U.S. Supreme Court site itself. I'm on SCOTUS blog itself, so that's, this here's Bloomberg. So they argued they they may reference that, but you take. The idea is you take the um, 
you take the um, winning transcript and you apply the substance of the transcript to the type of case you got. You know what I mean? Nobody does that, but that's actually the correct way. In a lot of ways, that's correct. Because if you rely on your logic and your legal thought process and your research, well, it's already been done. Here's what they, Here's how they argued. So, thought I'd share that. Media Library. Okay, now where is the transcript on this link? Well, I gotta find the. Um... Hey, look. <clears throat> Oral arguments. Okay, go to U.S. Supreme Court. dot gov site. Yeah, that's the one I was on, okay. And PDF, and it goes back to 2014. Visitor guide, argument, transcript, audios. Will you go to oral arguments? Okay. There's a, okay. It goes, open the little box, it says argument, audios. But here they're only going back to 2000, and, oh, wait a minute, they go back to 2011. So click 2011, and I'm going to do a Control-F and type in Jones so I can get there pretty fast. I don't want to wait. Yeah, and here it is right here. We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 10-1259, United States versus Jones. Mr. Dreeben. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Since this Court's decision in Katz versus United States, the Court has recognized a basic dichotomy under the Fourth Amendment. I'm going to take and um, put this into the room, and there's uh, there, there's the uh, transcript and the MP3, and you got Windows Media, whatever you're going to use. And so, you clicked on 2011, did you say? Yeah, that was 2011. I got just it. put it in the Skype room. So okay, got it. Okay. And then there's the MP3. When you listen to the MP3 and really listen to and it puts you like you're in your mind, your mind that you're there. You take that kind of you take those kind of arguments, you apply them to your case. That's what I would do. I can't tell nobody what to do, but right. I'm not giving nobody legal advice, but I'm just telling you that's what I would do. And welcome and, Texas to the call. Yeah, and I po- I'm posting it in the reason I'm posting it in talk show guys and girls is because you can go back and pull the chat transcript and study that and have the links, you know, with the call. Please continue, Craig. So you make that your case. You don't. And so everybody, I don't say everybody. That's a mistake. I keep. That's a bad habit I got. I don't say everybody. That's not true. It's a reaction I got because it's I, I'm frustrated by what over the years I've seen in the in the truth movement what the the same systemic problems are over and over and over and I fall into this I I do that so excuse me on that very few people do that if any that I know of there might be lawyers who do that and somebody else who know, who knows who does that 
but I do it, and I put that in the class, that mindset, that one mindset. You find a transcript that fits your case. Let's say I'm in a case. I find a transcript that fits my case. I'm taking the language and arguments back and forth, and I'm making my motions on that issue. The only thing I'm doing is going to the Ohio Appeals Court and looking for the cases that, that support that, but I'm at the federal level. Mind My mind is at the federal level and the local state court. Okay. And I'm using this material. I'm using this material to do it because that's how I want to present my arguments. I understand them. They make sense. I want to do that. And that's why I made the, the class that way, to have a psychology change. And that's a lot of work, and there's a, and it's, some of it may sound weak, and some of it may sound boring and arduous and long, and I can't do it. And it's, it's meant to be that way because I'm drawing out the pus. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting the gangrene off the off the leg. I got some maggots. I'm you know like gladiator where he sticks the little maggots in his gut. Let it. So, and I've had people say, "Well, that's weak. That all oh, that class sucks." I said, "Really? Well, let's that. Let me uh, give me a chapter. And let's talk about it." And when I get done, they're like, "Wow, you know, it's not because I'm all knowing and I'm smart as everybody else. It's just because my mind is thinking." I'm an auto technician. Here's the mechanics of going on in a generalized way. Here's here's how deep this is going to go. I would go. I'm trying to expose, expand the way my research and my mind thinks to, and it's difficult because it takes a long time. It's three. The one class, one class is two weeks, five days or so. But it's important to get the mind to be exposed to it. I repeat, I repeatedly do this. How to federalize your case, federalizing your case, federalizing your case, federalizing case. And the freedom movement, I don't see it anywhere. Even the guys that do it, they're not going the extra mile and federalizing and putting that on the record. So what do you mean when when you mean by federalizing case? Okay, remember how I we'll go back to the traffic ticket. Yeah. And the the civil rights class is beautiful for this. The boxes, all the boxes in there. So you go look at the statute, boom, there's a word federal. The U.S. Department of Transportation. Wait a minute. I didn't get none of that discovery, and the statute's ambiguous. The statute doesn't meet the uh, plain reading rule, the plain reading of the writing or the plain reading of the statute. I put the statutory construction there, real important. How is the statute created? Common law administrative, facts, a discussion on the floor. Is the statute really aggravated menacing, or is it a simply a discussion on the floor about do they really believe he was being aggravated menacing? These little, these little twists and turns in the statute, so, well, that's statutory law, but where did it come from? Nobody can answer the question. I break it down. A lot of the statutes have common law and religious free exercise and administrative in them, and and if and if the statute doesn't meet the discovery, guess what? There's a problem. How far that problem can go, I don't know, but I'm telling you, there's a problem. That's what I'm trying to. I'm doing the best I can to vastly right. shift the mindset, the, the 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 mind of what we're looking at. Once we can do that, then 
many doors open up, and it gets easier and easier once that, once those once the Great Wall of China or the Vatican Wall to the Middle East is broke down. I can I can have the Muslims invade Rome. <laughs> now that goes along with the legislative history, does it not? When we go back it, in, it, of, of the law, it does. But I take what Scalia said and statutory construction to heart. That legislative okay. history wasn't relevant. It is relevant okay. on the floor at the state session law, but at the same time, I, Scalia says it's not relevant, and some of the, the other jurists on the Supreme Court say they don't look at legislative legislative history per se as to how this how to decide because they're using when you listen to Scalia, they're using mm-hmm. they're using the um, the canons of statutory construction. Just one book. The canons of statutory construction. The canons of statutory construction. He, you know, he said he only had two or three books he uses to guide him on how he how he decides things. And then he then he has these people do the research. He uses that one dictionary. I think it's an Oxford 1829 dictionary or something. That was 1829 Webster Hubble or whatever the guy's name is. Yeah, Webster, I think. Webster. 28, maybe. Webster. Yeah, 28. Yeah, he uses that. The canons of statutory construction, which is Jesuit canons, or there was a mingling of it, but it's still statutory constructions because you have Cooley and Story. I like Joseph Story versus Cooley. Cooley is the government's right, and everything they do is good. Story says, that's horseshit. The government messes up all the time, and the statutory construction over sucks. So I like Story versus Cooley. He uses statutory construction, the canons, the that, and he uses another book, too. He uses something else. I can't remember what else. There was three books he said watching when he was talking about having an insight in the Supreme Court. But I know two of them off the top of my head. So, And that goes back to the boxes. That goes back to what how you're being charged. I mean, break it down even further this way. Guy stuck his nose and it stuck the nose of the car into a stuck his nose stuck the nose of the car into the crosswalk. And he got a ticket. And he's arguing, There's no there's no hurt. I'm not damaging anybody. Well that's true. Kinda. He said, Well there's nobody there. Nobody's seen me. I said, Well the police officer was there, he's seen you. I asked him, I said this before, I asked him, I said, Did you have a right to put your nose in front of that in that crosswalk? Is that is that property reserved for somebody else other than you? Does somebody else have that property reserved as a right or a privilege? Well, yeah, the answer is yes. Of course, the guy that's, or girl that's walking. Well, that's that great. Right. Yeah. The public, the public trust. Yeah. Well, that, that raises another question. So, but can you put your car in a crosswalk? And if so, what categories can you do it in? And I gave off. Here's a couple of them. One was lighting. No, there's like I'll give three. One was lighting of the area. The other one is the uh, the signal of the the timing of how it goes from green to yellow to red. There's enough. There's two, and there's more than that. There's a lot more than that. There's weather and all kind of things. 
The third one was the color of the paint on the ground. That that tells you up ahead there's that tells you up ahead there is a crosswalk. You know what's missing on the statute on that? Thou shalt get out of the car and and look at the distance between your bumper and the crosswalk. <laughs> Doesn't exist. There's a lot of exemptions to that. There's weather. There's fog. There's rain and snow and sleet and hail and ice. And there's the the changing of the light from green to yellow to red, which is a common problem. No, there I go. I get to say it again. I got a bad habit. Nobody. Very few people, even the lawyers, being lazy, feckless that they are. Very few people go to the timing devices on the pole by the Ohio Department of Transportation and whatever uh, they got it it laid out by areas. I can't remember the term that they got it laid out. Uh, No, it's not batteries. It's, um, I can't remember. It'll pop in my head here in a little bit. So the pole tells you when the device is changed and who set the timer. Now you'll notice some some parts of light have a faster timer than the others. You know why that is? No. Defects or intention to cause wrecks or, or traffic. Oh really? Yes. There's cases on it. You have oh, a right my goodness. Stick, you have a right to stick the front end of the car into the crosswalk uh-huh. with certain exemptions. That's where we get into insurance law and vehicle uh you know, hitting somebody and then crosswalks. And so the the crosswalks reserved for my right because I'm Amish. I walk, I have to walk, I can't drive a car. So <laughs> I have to walk everywhere. And I need that crosswalk. And if you don't obey that, I, I'm i flesh and blood. You've got 4,000 pounds of steel. I mean, I don't have any rights because if you have carte blanche to, to run it, if you, well, if you believe you can, if you believe you can stick your car in the front of the crosswalk, why don't you just run the red light? I don't want to do that. Well, why? Is there exemptions to running a red light? There are. <laughs> Matter of fact, the state of Ohio allowed some exemptions to run red lights now. Would it be exemptions or exceptions? Uh, that's a good question. I have to go look at it. It could be exceptions okay. or exemptions. It's one okay. or the other. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Well, thank I'll you. Just... And I have another good question. I think where I live, I can flicker my life at at. Well, number one, we don't have any, we don't have any sidewalks where I live. Okay, we just have highways. But I think I can flicker my light, my flicker my headlight on my truck, and I can get the stoplight to change quicker. You know, if if I ease up on the stoplight yeah. and I flicker my lights, flick my lights, bright dim, bright a, dim. Maybe that's later. You, you need a merch. You need a merch for that mobile infrared. Uh, something. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that that's what yeah they call them Mercs and they and every uh, cop and uh, firefighter has one. So. Well, I don't have a Merc, mobile but I can... infer mobile, mobile infrared. infrared transmitter. That's what it is. I do believe. Re- response trans. Well, I still think that my lights on my truck make the the light. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong, but I think it makes the light change. It could. Because I've done it before. 
I thought you were going to go for flash and people because cops are nearby. A guy tried that in this case to say free speech, but they get you for that split second that you turn it off. They're like, they're like you're driving without your lights on. So at night, oh, no, I don't. Um, I flicker. Am I from dim to bright, yeah. dim to right? I got you. I got you. I, ah, it works. You know. Yeah. I think it works. I mean, I'm sold on it, so I keep on doing it. <laughs> And that, and that goes into the traffic ticket stuff. I mean, it's – and then there's public safety. Public safety, scriptures, uh-huh. common law, international law, public safety is vast. And public safety can actually be – if you're good at public safety and understand it, know it, you could literally argue public safety very well and be have a success rate to either in its entirety render the, render the case to a moot issue or – degrade the case to such a degree like battery asses on a dead fish <laughs> where you just have the nice. public safety is uh, very important and it comes from scriptures and you find guardian world relationship and everything else in there this is the freedom the truth movement has a very difficult time with this and my goal is to get some of this the mind out of this right. like I was in I was on Facebook with creditors of commerce and I was posting stuff, and I said, this guy automatically knee-jerked. Say, I got NCLC, right? I bought it, the whole library. It cost 14 or 1500 bucks or whatever it was, plus the other stuff, because they ended up being almost two grand way back when. And I got the uh, added pocket parts and the letters and the, and the update letters and the, um, hey, there's a new case. I sent it out immediately. You know, there's a... A, a letter that comes out that deals with the case area, and I have this, you know, nonstop. I had to quit because I had, couldn't afford it anymore. But you just get so much paperwork, you, what, I can't even do nothing with it. I don't want a thousand notebooks. I mean, it's just overwhelming because I had all the books and all the, I paid for all the areas. I mean, I don't know what am I going to do with bankruptcy? <laughs> I filed once, they ain't done it again. That was way back when, but that. If they, if they could just see that they have a lot of rights, but they're over here doing this thing in the creditors and commerce thing, and great, I'm fine, that's fine. But you know what happens when you submit documents into the public record to have a commercial intent behind them, behind them? to call something to do something. Once the government receives them, they become, they become governmental records. Right. And if that record affects another record or affects something of value and it's and it's done in a deceitful way, here in Ohio it's a felony three. And it's thank the Lord Jesus that the states have not got a hold of that and started prosecuting people that way. I said this on the radio the other night. Thank God that happened. That doesn't happen. Because they could. Whew, the idea is just right alarming. So they uh, maybe they're not thinking about it. I researched it out and said, God, if I did that and this happened to happen, affect this, and there's any fraud or anything in there that's wrong, guess what? They come back around and indict me. I never done anything like that, but I looked at the research because somebody said, oh, you got to file your UCC and this is what you're trying to do. And I'm trying to affect uh, the birth certificate in such a way that would tamper with a record, cause cause would cause a, a, a nor, anom- anomaly or a, uh, a, a fictitious or fraudulent part 
on the birth certificate. And here's the other problem. The mother and dad who filed the birth certificate, that's their record. Wait a minute now. Hold up. Well, no, no, no. Hold on. No. That's their record. They're the ones who filed it. Whether or not it's true or not, all that other I get it. Well, okay. It's false. Well, as you as an infant minor with no disclosure have a you know, presumption here. That's not the same hand. thing. That's not the same thing. That's not, I'm not, I'm not, that has nothing to do with it. I get okay. what you're talking about. That's not the same thing. Okay. I have an, I have some input here on that one because um, since what, Shepherd Towner Maternity Act, and since they, people started going to the hospitals, it was a requirement that the yeah. birth certification was completed, okay? And you get, you, you've got your three witnesses, your doctor, your nurse, the clerk of the hospital, who, whatever. And I do, I do have a friend that his mother was not going to fill out the birth certificate paperwork, and they called the cops on her. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and this was back in the 60s, okay? Right. Coercion, coercion. Yeah. And so, I mean, therefore, okay, back, okay, in my family, I was the only one born in a hospital, right? There there were no birth certificates for the other children, which was, was a whole parcel of them. But, you know, so therefore, I mean, how how do you weave that into what you just got through saying? Because, see, it's a requirement now that they say, oh, well, you have to do the, the birth certificate. You have to name the child. You know, I mean, how do you weave that into, you know, what we're learning? Well, so there's exemptions or okay. exceptions. Except, okay. And the, a lot of it is uh, uh, religious free exercise, or if you read the statute, they can't compel you to do X, Y, Z on these things. And there's a delay. There's a delay policy. Generally speaking, there's a delay policy. Maybe in not all states. I don't know the answer to that question, but there's a delay policy or a delay time or policy on, we'll come back and fill out later. We're not ready to name. We don't know. We ain't got a clue. We're stuck. Mm-hmm. The state can't compel name. And then there's religious free exercisers, um, beliefs. There's some other exemptions, too. And uh, there's an adoption. There's family law all involved in mm-hmm. that. So, well, look. Let me tell you, I, I'm telling you, you know what, right now, if you were to come up with some kind of document, this is the, the fear of the truth movement of anybody just wanting to, quote, have a baby, unquote. So what kind of paperwork would you walk into the hospital with and say, you know what, I don't want any nonsense here. You, you saying that you know, anything, my property, my child was abandoned. I mean, do you, I mean, not to go crazy, do you have any common sense? Paperwork that you would bring into the hospital beforehand? Yes, I do. Okay, I have, well, there you, go. Real, there you go. Wait a minute. I have real life experience on how to solve that problem, too, and I actually okay. did it. Okay, good. Okay, well, let's look that But I don't like to good. bring that out because that makes me vulnerable. But I'll tell you the answer. Well, no, no, no. no. Okay. I have the paperwork. I, I have the paperwork. I'll tell you the answer. Okay. Here's the answer I'm going to pay for my own birth. I need to make up, set up payments. Yeah, I've heard once, this before. The Amish do this. Once you once you get any welfare, now the now the scales are starting to tilt against you. Right. Got to cut the umbilical cord from 
Uncle Sam's anus umbilical cord yeah. in your face on welfare money on paying any. I I have done this. I've already been out the road, and I'll tell you this right now. Uh, I won't tell you the doctor and all the hospital and all that stuff, but I'll tell you this right now. They scrubbed my twenty-seven thousand dollars and went bill me no more. I have I have documents on this. I literally have it all written up. I have a nine nine page rebuttal affidavit stating the the patient bill of rights and some other federal and state law violations. I yeah, actually I actually did that. I did that a long time ago. But I'm not gonna go into all that because I have to sit down and think about that. Nobody knows about that, I so I told her here. But here's the thing. I found out that once you invoke partially the state and federal monies, the scales will start tipping. Now they you know, not all the time. Northern Ohio is systemic with this, I think. Uh they tried to do this to the Amish girl that had cancer up there and Maurice Thompson and another group went up there and fought the hospital. I went on the hospital's Facebook page and raised all kind of hell. We should just sue you bastards. I said, I'm going to do everything I can to cause mm-hmm. lawsuits against you. There was a lot of people commenting. Not me, just not just me, but a lot of people. I mean, right. a lot. There was high-powered people. You know, I'm just a little Craig, who am I? But I made the effort, so... They actually paid for it. They had to go down to Mexico to get this girl treated from cancer, and they actually solved their problem. They didn't want that girl healed. They want to give her chemo and all this other stuff. It was, and they were doing it. It was killing her, making her sick, so they escaped. So there's that problem. Right. That's where they went and filed a petition to make her a ward of the state, even though they have religious free exercise. So there is a danger. Well, well stuff I was – okay, okay, go ahead. Keep going. There is a danger. How much the danger is, I don't know. But – the one thing I discovered was on the money, they couldn't pay for anything. I made three payments. I paid them, I think, over $1,000. They were paying like three or four or $500 a whack. Every time I went to the hospital, I was making payments. You know what them smartasses did to me? They said, oh, there's, there's Mr. Gold and Silver. Do you guys take any gold or silver for this payment? They said, no. I said, oh, well, you know, I got all mad. I said, well, I'm going to pay you in gold. Well, we don't take that. And then, and the and the people that were taking the money, being smart asses, they went over and told somebody else and a couple other people. Let me tell you what else I caught them doing. They went and told him, so he wants to pay you gold. There's Mister Gold, gold broker. And they they made fun of me. I said, okay. Well, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go write you a letter, and I'll be back here. I'm going to pay you today, but I'm going to write you a letter. We'll be back. We'll see if I got to pay this. And I went and contacted the Ohio Department of uh, Ohio Department of Health on this. I caught them committing welfare fraud on my behalf. They for, they filled out money. They filled out paperwork to receive payments for welfare or to get paid. Now they got paid twice. I was paying them in a contract. I had signed a contract, got a copy. I made payments. I made over like eleven hundred bucks or twelve or whatever it is. I can't remember, but I have it written down. I made X Y Z dollars payments to them, and it was over a thousand. I was paying like three or four or five hundred bucks at one whack. Sometimes it'd be more, a little bit less. I made three payments. They all was double dipping. I wrote that nine-page letter and I called them on that. So at the end of the day, the bill didn't go anywhere. They pretty much terminated the account. The billing stopped, and they wouldn't respond to any of my letters. I said, I'll tell you what you do. I said, I'll even do this. 
you guys go file a complaint for $27,500 with the set off of my 1000 bucks, whatever, and I'll answer the complaint. Let's go litigate this question. <laughs> I did that. Okay. When I talked to him, I went right to the administrator and said, file a complaint. I said, if you send me another letter, I'm going to file a complaint against you, and I'm, you're going to pay me. They, that's about the time they stopped. They had they had some more letters in the pipeline that was already out of hand, out of hand, down the road, and then mailed. So I got like two or three more letters. But after that, it stopped because the billing cycle was 90 days, six months, right. whatever it is. So it's, Well, now, tell me this, Craig. How Okay, how did you know that they filled out the welfare paperwork how did you catch them at doing that? I mean, did you see it? Did yeah, they... I actually, so my wife had preeclampsia and some other problems, and one day I was, we're walking back to see, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. And I see my folder sitting there. See the name, you know, the name. <laughs> okay, right, the name. the name. I open the name up, and I'm like looking through there, and I wish I had it myself, but I took pictures. Oh, but I didn't. I didn't even think of it at that time. I start looking at it, and I see an application for uh, um, Medicaid or welfare or something. Wow. And it had, it had a number on it of 26000 27000 whatever. Title IV funds, but it was, was it not, probably? I don't I know. I, 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 I was standing there looking, and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And I was, mm-hmm. like, in shock. So I said, I said okay. Oh, I was mad. I was like, oh, that fits. I'm fit to be tied. So I go back home, and I said, I, I call them and say, you know, I'm not going to pay you guys anymore. Well, we're going to see you. I said, God, I wish you would. And I sent my letter out. They sent something back out. They sent, like, a one-page correspondence. So we'll file the complaint. You file the complaint. I'll answer it. Let's go talk to uh, judge somebody, somebody in the county. Because I knew the judge. I named the judge's. I named the county. They knew the judges. They knew I knew the judges. They knew I went some, you know. Mickey and they out. went, looked, and boom, and they that was $27,000 I got for nothing. Except, well, it took me about a week to write the nine pages, and I had to have a spell checker, and I had to use a dictionary, and that's, you know, I am. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but it's mechanical, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a there's a welfare connection anywhere the state's got an interest it's like take take a circle and put yourself in a circle and nobody else is inside your circle that's how simple that is right and that deal and that dealt with that issue right there i was like okay i gotta cut the nexus rule and i made payments i'm paying this i'm paying for mine so i severed those nexus and that's a true story and they wasn't happy about that. I don't care. I called the Ohio Department of Health. I said, look, I want to do a FOIA request, these four requests back, or a, a public Ohio public records request from the, it's, uh, the Yellow Sunshine Book, Ohio Sunshine Law, or Hunts, uh, Ohio Sunshine Book. And mm-hmm. I said, I need to find out how much money they spent. And he said, there is nothing. They, nobody's filed anything. I said, well, where would they have gotten the money from? I have no idea. Because they got to go to Ohio first, and from there it just goes to the Fed. The chain of events goes from Ohio, from Hospital Ohio to Fed. So, and if I miss something, I don't know. I don't. I. I they probably have, threw it under benevolent funds, elamosinary. Rocco can always say that word better than I. Elamosinary, yeah. Elamosinary. 
Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that hospital was... That's how I say it, too, Eliomocenary. Yeah, it's pronounced pronounced that way. I'm just saying it. Well, at any rate, when that hospital was formulated or created, okay, it was a benevolent institution. And it is, I learned this from George Gordon stuff, that it is Eliomocenary stuff, benevolent. Right. It's a benevolent, it was formed probably under a benevolent organization um, under the auspices of benevolence. And they have to do so much uh, benevolence uh, on the books. Right, right. That was my I've got some other input, but I'm, I'm like you. There's certain things that I'm not going to say here. We've got some other input on that, but um, but it is. If it's a benevolent organization, which a hospital is, they've got benevolent funds. Yeah. Uh, I got an email today from uh, somebody at another radio station. I'll, I won't say who or where. I'll just tell you what the email talked about. Right to travel. Okay. okay. Now, I... I agree you have a a natural-born fundamental right to travel. I agree with that. That's without question. I mean, I matter of fact, I I agree so much that uh, there is no objection to the idea. Right. Uh, but there are some cases that there's some areas of law that nobody's taken into consideration. There, I said nobody again. There's the air. There's some areas that no. There's some areas that the freedom movement as a whole and in general. I did this when I had Craig Kirk School of Law dot org site. I talked about the right to travel. I put arc. I had MP3s up on the site on this. Mm-hmm. I agree, 100% the right to travel. Not because I have a right to travel because I want a right to travel any normal conveyance. I, that's not why I agree. It has nothing to do with it. It's, it has nothing to do with it at all. Matter of fact, it's way beyond that, or it's, or I wouldn't say way beyond. It's a different, wholly different mindset, a different category why I think I have a right. And it's a very frightening right, and, and you see it, and I'm going to give you the case on it. Okay? Okay. And matter of fact, I wouldn't look this up again because I had a lot of information on this. Second, I'm going to X out of there. I'm going to go find right on the desktop here. I'm going to read you something. I'll read you the title of this. You can go and get this yourself, and this will open the door. Let me X, control, expand. Okay, here it is. Pencil, paper, enslaved constitution. Obstructing, this is real, and I'm going to, when I read this, when I read this opening page to to the anybody that's listening, or for somebody to consume the archive later, I'm going to read this to you. This is the problem. Well, I'm going to read this. I'll explain to you why I uh, why I'm very concerned about this in an area and why in an area that the freedom, the truth movement doesn't has not taken in consideration. As far as I can tell, I've never seen anybody really take in consideration. They try. Everybody t- 
tries to have it. I agree with 100%. 110% you have a right to to travel in your normal conveyance. Minus some public safety, you know, I'm drunk, I'm having a seizure, uh, you know, heart, you know, yeah. I'm blind, you know. Those are public safety exceptions. Scripture talks about that. Here's the name of the abstract. I want you to write this down, take notes, go look it up for yourself. It's called Enslaved Constitution. This is a working paper by a barrister. It's a lawyer guy that done a, a great job on this. This is one area of the problems we've got. Remember, I have the I agree with the right. But the state, on the other hand, does not. And I'm going to show you why the state does not agree with that. And then I'm going to tell you another place there was a big problem with this. Enslaved Constitution, obstruction, Obstructing the Freedom to Travel by uh, Mitchell F. Crusto. Abstract. Crusto? So, yeah, not spell that. C-R-U-S-T-O. And this is actually in Vitell's book, The Law of Nations. This is what I'm getting ready to read is in Vitell. And there's somewhere else this this idea came from, too. I'm going to tell you about that, too. Does the Constitution protect the citizens? Now, it don't have to be citizen. You can be free man on the land or any status you want. It's irrelevant. The idea is the physical being, the I'm my father's child, I'm like God, and whatever, the flesh and blood man, all those things, all those categories, put that aside. Every category the state says no. And I'm going to read this. Does the Constitution protect a citizen or free man? For its citizens, intra, now listen to this. I'm going to ask the question. Intrastate travel. The question we have to ask is, where did the state get the idea for, for the real historic idea from intrastate travel? Think about that. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to read this. It says, does the Constitution protect the citizens' intrastate travel within a state mm-hmm. from unjustified ple- from unjustified state prohibition? Now, there's going to be some objections, and people are going to do this, and the email makes me think about this, and I know... I I agree with the right to travel, but there's other areas that is not being looked at, and I'm going to expose that area. To date, the Supreme Court has not ruled directly, the word directly, on the issue. And many federal courts believe that the right to intrastate travel is not a constitutionally protected. Now, what's the opposite of intrastate? Intrastate. What's the opposite of intrastate? Inter. Oh, inter. it's state to state. It's state inter. Yes. This article explores the constitutional right of intrastate travel that is free from wrongful state infringement along public railways by law-abiding citizens using critical legal history. Critical legal history. Critical legal history. And I'll say it one more time. <laughs> critical legal history. This article posed that federal courts' the denial of the right of intra-state travel consciously or unconsciously reflect the antebellum Southern legal doctrine of people's property, which regulated the travel of enslaved African descendants. 
The constitutionality of interstate travel arose most recently recently during the Katrina Hurricane Katrina crisis, when the city of Greta, Louisiana, now watch this, police barricaded a federal highway. Say it with me, Stafford Act. Come on, guys, say it with me, the Federal yeah. Stafford Act. <laughs> denying would-be evacuees the ability to flee from the flooding city of New Orleans in an ensuing action for infringement of the would-be evacuees the constitutional right to interstate travel. Federal District Judge Mary Ann Viol-Lemming dismissed the matter and Dickerson versus City of Greta holding that while there is no doubt that a fundamental right of interstate travel exists, the Supreme Court has not ruled on whether a right of intra-state travel exists. This court declines to find that there is a fundamental right of intra-state travel. The Fifth Circuit affirmed. The Fifth Circuit Appeals Court affirmed this ruling. How the heck can you travel interstate if you cannot move intrastate first? That is ridiculous. No, it's not. It's simple. Think about it. Think about it. I'm walk. I'm in. I'm quote in unquote one state walking to another. They're like, stop, stand. You're moving within the state. You cannot do that. No, that's not what. That's not, wait a minute. <laughs> that's not what's being said here. What's being said? The presumption is. The presumption is. The presumption under demographics. The presumption is that you are intrastate traveling. Now the question was the court within the state. Within well, the state. No, wait a minute. I, you know, yeah, the, enter within. Right. The question is, did anybody plead out in this case? And the courts laid this out. The courts told us the answer right here. I'll tell you the the courts laid, told us the answer. Give me a second. I'll tell. I'll read the answer. There was an ensuing action for infringement of the would-be evacuees' constitutional right to intrastate travel. Federal District Court Mary Lemming dismissed the matter in Dickerson versus the U.S. Uh, uh, Dickerson of Dickerson versus City of Greta, Greta, holding that while there is no doubt that a fundamental right of inter, interstate travel exists. So the lawyers, what did they fail on? They failed to plead. We are running from state to state. Right. I now nobody. You can't get up in the legal fiction of I'm staying within the state. I'm just moving from city or county to county, and I'm, I'm taking shelter here. No, I'm going to Texas. No, I'm going to the Ozarks. I'm going from interstate. Uh-huh. Now they were barricaded. Now that's a different question. A different that falls under the Federal Stafford Act. That that falls under something else too. But so there's two places. The two basic places I want to point out about this. When's the last time we've truly seen this? And within the last hundred years, where there was no intrastate to travel. When there was no intrastate. And not not in the United States. Not nine eleven. Oh, oh. Not, not oh. in the United States, but in the West, generally, on a massive scale. More than Katrina could think of. Weather. Well, weather, snow, blizzard, I don't know. No, uh, the uh, the concentration camps in Poland and Germany. Oh, That's okay. going back, sure. That's where the, that, they use that international law principle to do that. That's what makes me very concerned about this. Oh, yeah. 
That's that's the re- now we're getting to the point where we're trying to get to the roots of the tree. Another place that this is so true, and today to this day it's exactly the same. Anybody know where else you see it happening right now? You seen it? You ha- you seen it really, uh, re- really with the Yazidis and the Kurds. Oh, Anybody in know? In the Middle East. Yeah, I knew you were going Yeah, now who made this doctrine up? Where did this come from? The state of Ohio didn't make this up. The United States government and the founding fathers didn't make that up. This is our problem. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, and thank you, Guest 5, for posting um, Helio Masoneri. It says the Supreme Court has ruled not has not ruled on whether the right to interstate travel exists. The court declines to find that there is a fundamental right to interstate travel exists. The court affirmed the ruling. This article recommends that when now remember, uh, let's go back up here. What did he say this was? Let's go back up here. The article posed that federal courts now the right of interstate travel. Interstate travel consistently or consciously or unconsciously reflects the antebellum Southern legal doctrine of people's property. People's property. <clears throat> Where did that come from? I told you Islam well, Islam Islamic law yeah. in the United told States. You. Sharia, yeah. It's right there. Of the people as property. I'm gonna read that again. Southern legal doctrine doctrine of people as property. It's called the regu- Go ahead. Go ahead. It's called the Antebellum Southern Legal Doctrine. Yeah. And people as property. I get it. I, I went and looked it up. I went to Google Books and pulled down a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of material on that. The black codes. Mm-hmm. The uh, and in the class, let me see if I can find it. In the class, uh, I will. And then scripture mm-hmm. prohibits this, but you find this actually in scripture too. Now Cain didn't have that problem. He went on down the land of Nod, went into a uh, it went into a um, a, uh, a city prison, um, city of refuge. King went on down. Uh, Adam had free reigns of travel. Right. So let me find this. Can I find this? Uh, let's see here. Oh, that's not it. That's first charters. No. High end documents. Let's see. Uh, Side, the Crimean War. I read to you guys last in the Crimean War, didn't I? Uh, yeah, Crimean, a little bit. The, the the Russia being the, a member of the Holy the Holy Alliance, the police of Europe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that's important because I I found that the Russia was on the east coast of the United States before anybody actually got here. They was they had forts and everything set up. Foreigners against white persons. Criminal Act 14 provides no black or mulatto person or Indian shall be allowed to give evidence in favor of or against the white man. People versus Hall, 1854. Civil Practice Act 394 provides no Indian or Negro shall be allowed to testify in any action in which a white person or party. People versus Hall. The words in their words Indian, Negro, Black, and White are generic terms. Distinguishing race, therefore Chinese, all other people not white, 
are included in the prohibition from being witness against white people, People versus Hall, 1854. People Hall, excluding Chinese witnesses in suits to which whites persons are parties, is affirmed. Uh, Spear versus C. Yup. Uh, company, 1859. The indusium of color is not an inf infallible test to the competency of a witness under the act explaining blacks, mulattoes, Indians from testifying or from white people. People versus Elia, 1859. It may be a sufficient test in many cases, but only when it is decided as to leave no doubt as the race to which the witness belongs. People versus Elia. In a criminal action against a white person, no black mulatto person, though in, uh, though injured party, cannot under the, the statute be a witness against the defendant, People v. Howard, 1860. The words in favor of, of or against the white person in the act prohibiting persons of oneself or more Indian blood or Mongolian or Chinese for, from giving evidence refer to the defendant alone in a criminal case, Peter uh, per Sanderson. Uh, People versus Awa, 18, 1865. A defendant in a criminal case who is a Chinese Chinaman entitled to produce Chinese witnesses on his behalf. People versus Al Al Chang Chang. I tried to say it, I couldn't. The Fourteenth <laughs> Amendment to the Constitution of the United States does not conflict with the powers of the legislature in the exercise of its discretion to. Uh, exclude Chinamen from the right to testify in state court, People versus Brandy, 1870. Now, there's a demographics issue here. The reason you, I don't say blacks and Indians and Chinese, but when you're dealing with uh, Middle Eastern people, they have a different way of thinking, and they commit takia a lot. Not all of them, not everybody, but they they recognize the cultures and the impact on testimony. They, these, these founding fathers weren't stupid. Our, 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 compared to the the guys in eighteen and seventeen, eighteen hundreds, we we don't we we've lost a lot of brain because of the industrial revolution, and all these things. But this concept that's in the class, the concept is where did they get the idea from? Same with the inter, interstate travel. There's people out there. So you're two fifths of you're two fifths of white man. You can't you don't have any rights. Well, where did they get the idea from? That's religious. Free, that's that's using religious. That's using religion to prosecute me. The West didn't. The West did not. In the West did not invent that. You actually find this in scriptures. What was the girl's name? Who she were? She was a a Camish high priestess, and she turned into the Torah and became a, a, one of the Levites or, or one of the. Um, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. She left Camish, came and and came in there. I can't remember her name. There was my wife watches the show every day on Sabbath and stuff. And Ruth Andy, no. I was saying Ruth. Yeah, is that the yeah? Name? It was Ruth. Ruth. Yeah, the kinsman redeemer. Yeah. Well, when Bowen. you take this material and you start looking at that, well, in Islam, you you it, it's a crime for Christians, Jews, Sikhs, and Hindus to, in, in a lot of ways, testify against a Muslim. <laughs> The evidence is so overwhelming, but it, but it's over time. And, and if you tell somebody they think you were stupid, oh, I'm, I'm pro-American. Well, so am I. I you know I like freedom. Right now, this is the best I got. So the state says, well, we have a right to 
and put you in concentration camps and slaughter every one of you, just like we did in Germany, under the home rule, international home rule, international law. I mean, if it's not under the home rule, let me tell you, the eugenics from Germany, it really began, uh, and and I can get you that information because I've been studying that. It started um, in uh, rooted American eugenics started by Sir Francis Galton in 1880, and the, there was another guy uh, that promoted uh, superior genetic makeup in America before Germany picked up on it. Um, and that's kind of scary. It is tied in, well, it's tied into what you're talking about right now. You know, that eugenics is, you know, let's get rid of the, the, the defectives, if you will. Yeah. There, that, that's that's interesting, brought up. You know the first case of eugenics in the scriptures? No, I don't think so. Cain and Abel. Okay, okay. <laughs> Cain went on down to the land of Nod and city-state and had 16 wives and 300 children. Abel didn't have anything. He slaughtered him. Well, that is eugenics. That's definitely eugenics. <laughs> Am I not my brother's keeper? I'm going to slaughter him. I don't, I don't want his type here. You know. But let me rewind this, okay? I want, I want to tell you something, and this is kind of important. It's tied into the genealogy, okay, of the families. And I'm talking both USA and I'm talking Germany now. It's talk, it was called genetic court or hygienics court or something like that. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's not, <laughs> well, anyway, I was shocked because I didn't know what I thought I knew about it and I had to go back and look at it. But it is tied into uh, the the genealogy of families, right, and um, eugenics, and you know deciding who's going to live live or die. That's funny you said that because we actually practiced that. Uh, we started really practicing that real heavy in the '80s. You know what it's called? I'll tell you what it's called. What? It's called the disparity. All you got to do is go look this up, uh, SSRN. Type in SSRN. I do a lot of research from them, mm-hmm. uh, social, social Science Research Network. It's And there's uh, at the Federal Sentencing Guidelines Committee or Commission, they have they talked about this a lot. Disparity, right? Huh? Did you say disparity? Yeah. There is disparity in the sentencing guidelines between crack cocaine and cocaine. Say, what's that okay. got to do with eugenics? Well, okay. if you look at all the testimony and all the litigation behind it, guess where? Guess who the the prominent crack cocaine victims were, and guess what they? Guess what the federal government and the states did to those people? More than cocaine. I don't know. Blacks. All you got to okay. do is go read it. So that was a policy, and that they talk about that in there. More blacks and whites, and the disparity between. Uh, cocaine and crack and the demographics and back and forth on and on and on. They talk. That's called, that's a form of eugenics. We practice that. Have you ever noticed? Well, what color are you? Are you white, black? Where do you live? And how much money you make? You go into court and the judge wants to know everything about you. He's on a census. Uh huh. We practice that to this day. And various forms of eugenics. Now. Mm. 
it's there. We just got to pay attention. Right. And I'm not saying that we're not. That's that's my that's my fault. I shouldn't have said that. That's not true. Well, we should it's pay not, more attention. Well, it's I should say uh, what we actually catch, because you said that triggered my thought about all the sentencing mm-hmm. guideline research I did in the last seven eight years. Because I was watching the disparity on this litigation lawsuits, and the Supreme Court finally struck down the sentencing guideline on crack cocaine versus cocaine. There's a lot. There's books on it. Driving while black. I used some of this in my federal civil rights lawsuit case. Driving while Hebrew. And, and you can. <laughs> I did this. You know, you can. I put these books in there, and and uh, I took a off of a side beat. Something real funny. <laughs> There's a spiritual affect about filing a federal lawsuit coming from the federal judge. I used a federal law professor's book on evidence. I still have it. It's still powerful to this day. It's outdated, but I still have it. And, I, and the quotes he said, now this is this is off the side, and this is funny because I used it. And I, I just know, I know in my mind reading the pleadings and the, and the way the courts talked about what I said, they, they were laughing at the lawyers for the state. There was a funny legal disparity between the state and federal government. I know that I could feel it, I could see it in the writings because the temperament and the tone would change, and the and the way the writings were. You actually, when you start to do this, you see that. So I said that that uh, the uh, the rules of evidence for the state really are worth nothing, and they mean nothing in federal court. But I used the professor's word for word. This federal judge, the magistrate and the judge caught that. They picked right up on that. And the response back in the report recommendation, I believe one of them talked about that, and it was kind of like uh, snickering at the lawyers using state language and state rules of evidence in the federal case. I stuck strictly to 100% federal causes of action, 100% to federal rules of evidence. And I use the rule committee on evidence. That's another thing I want to share with you. It's in the class and important. I don't go to uh, Westlaw and get my rules of evidence anymore. I go right to the rules committee, right on um, right on Cornell, Lil. That's the easiest place. And then I went over to the federal rules committee where they draft the rules. I use those. I use the committee language in my motion about evidence. I don't use anything else. It's like the Bible. I use the Bible in my brain as the primary original source material. The session law. I use the primary session law as the primary source of the statute. I don't use a revised code. Now, when they do it, I'll go in there and I'll do it behind them, but I'll break it down to where it automatically takes you over the session law anyway. So so I'm kind of lying. I twist back and forth. I do it to trip them up, okay? But I use the session law as the lines are stricken out and everything, where you have the commas and the and these quotation marks and the lines. I use that as the legislative intent to the statute, not the revised code. I use the rule committee for the rules of evidence, not the um, the Supreme Court rules for evidence or whatever. I use the committee who actually wrote the rules because I want the original source. This is – I use that. I use the United States Code Service too. 
when I go to federal court, if I have to go, I use the United States Code Service. Nothing else. I use well, I don't use anything from uh, online. I use the United States Constitution annotator from the GOA or whatever GOP or GOA government okay. printing. I use that. That's for sure because it's annotated right from the Congressional Research Service. I do use that. I use primary source. Now, how now I got this topic? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that's in the class. I showed that in the class. I used it in my federal case, and nobody else did. I'm the only one that done it. I'm using original primary source for the rules of evidence, making objections, and I'm using United States Code Service. With the statutes at large, you go to Lexis, type in United States Code Service, read the paragraph what it says. It is the go-to material with the United States statutes at large from Lexis. It's not primary, but it is the go-to what the statutes at large embedded into how the courts are ruled. They show, they break it down. It is eighth, ninth grade level, and it's brilliant. I don't, so I don't use that other material because. I wanted, you know, it's like going to Snap-on. I want, okay, I need Snap-on tools or all data or the manufacturer's books on preparing something. I need, you know, I go to the high-end material, and I find that um, Westlaw doesn't have that. Lexus is the only one that has the United States Code Service annotated with the rules annotated, and it has the statutes, and it has the committee notes in there. I actually showed that in the class. Actually, show that in the class. That's um, anybody can go do that. It's not, it's not cheap, but I'll tell you right now, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. That's the best. So, having access to a database like that, I still have. And that's on the federal side, right? The uh, on federal. Yeah. Case. Okay. I have no idea why I even said that. I. Just no, no, uh, no. This is good. <laughs> that, that's that's good, and no, it's good stuff. Can you help me get back on point? I'm just sitting there blabbing my gums now for no reason. <laughs> well, I'm posting what what you're blabbing. And guest five and guest six, uh, you are welcome to um, uh, join in on the chat if if you don't uh, speak up on, on your microphone or you're willing. You're welcome to speak up. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. We're, we're a small group tonight, but uh, welcome. Indeed. Nice friendly. So, yeah, home, and home I'll bring foul. you back on point. And to get uh, to uh, Craig's classes, uh, you can find him on Facebook, forward slash Law Jams. Or you can uh, go to lawjams.wix.com. Or if Craig's too busy, you can get to my Facebook, Rocco Vanzetti, R-O-C-K-O-V-A-N-Z-E-T-T-I. Right. You're there during the day for tech support, right? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I'm I'm the clerk at hand. Clerk (laughs) at the scene. There's a lot of free material on the class. yeah, that's I know, and you're absolutely right, and we it's need a, to dig into that. It's actually the class itself is actually a law library in itself with some videos and MP3s, and mm-hmm. there's just a lot of free stuff. I and mean, there's a lot of stuff I'm not charging. I just went and found it. Said, look what I found here. It's free charge. Right. Go take a look at this. 
but it's not it's not it's it, it is not by and large uh, uh it is not freedom movement free um the truth movement jib much mm-hmm. of the material is not truth it, I'll say not truth it's not uh <laughs> truth movement mind sure that's a big problem that's a huge problem that's a very huge problem in the truth movement i I personally had to kind of just chill out on that because I looked at all the I looked at the so let me go back to the email why I got on the right to travel what they did to Poland and Germany and the blacks and Islam and Southern Antebellum doctrine and all those things and and interstate versus somebody sent me an email from another radio broadcast said go look at this you have a right to travel now I I agree you have a right to travel, and I do not object to that. I don't care, intra or interstate, I don't care. you got a right to travel. You have a right, and I told, I'm told i telling you why you have that right, and I told you why my concerns are different than others. People say, I have a right, me. Well, my concern is something much more sinister and scarier for me and my own little pea brain. I'm very concerned about that. It scares me because I see now the international law and how this stuff is working, what they've done, you know, like the trail, the, the trail of Tears, you know. God, where did they learn that from? You know, they learned that from somewhere. They didn't make it up themselves. That That's crazy stuff, man. But so somebody sent me an email about right to travel. I'm a, now, not, I'm an auto technician. I have a I have Craig's Discount Auto Repair, LLC. It's a chartered company. Oh, the state, you know, the state's kind of in my business. <laughs> I file taxes and stuff like that. I'm not a tax protester. At least I won't tell you I am. <laughs> right. Man, what happened to all my receipts? Somebody burn them up in the wood burner. Anyhow, I <laughs> you know, I keep some of these things out there. I'm just kidding. I keep all my receipts in a box. All the ones that benefit me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. I'm an auto technician. I fix cars and sell parts. I do. I engage in interstate commerce. Oh or yeah, I, tell us, tell us where we can find you on on because um, that did help me. We can find you on YouTube by just putting in your name or Law what? Jams or uh, I got two. I got Law Jams and I got Craigslist Count Auto Repair. Neither of those two are linked, but uh, Law Jams YouTube. I got two, three, or four videos up here already. Got to make about a thousand more, so. Which I'll end up doing. And I'll probably monetize him because I'm kind of Jewish. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let me ask you: On uh, um, do you sell parts on Craig's Discount Auto Repair? Uh, I started a, another Wix website where I'm going to be having some parts on there. But you know how it is getting people to your website. You know, right. the competition. So I'm on eBay selling parts now. I got a. I got. Uh, I got about six boxes sitting here with parts ready. I'm putting the parts in the box, matching the mm-hmm. price up to the box and the cost. And I'm, I got uh, I got six parts or five parts ready to be listed. I'm going to do that tonight uh, after we get done here. Try to get as many on there as I can. And then now on eBay, finished. how do I find you on eBay? Uh, Craig's Discount or Repair. Oh, okay, okay, that's easy. Doesn't take got, rocket science. Yeah. 
I, I got a merchant's account. I'm a merchant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a merchant at law. <laughs> Anyhow, so somebody says, you have a right to travel by any normal conveyance whatsoever. I agree you have a right to travel. I agree by any normal conveyance whatsoever. But there's a problem. I fix automobiles. You brought me the car to fix. You went to Walmart and got some tires. You know, every part that's on that car, the manufacturer has an invested interest on that part. Now, the Attorney General's office can file a, a class action lawsuit on your behalf, get all the money, and you don't get none for the, your, your Chevy Malibu or Honda, whatever it is, who knows what kind of car that has a defect that caused people's lives to be destroyed or whatever. And mm-hmm. the Attorney General for Ohio, Wisconsin, Illinois, or anywhere else can file a class action. The state reaps all the war rewards against the automaker, and you don't get any money. And how is that possible? People, we need to address this because this is the truth of the matter is that if you got any parts on the car you didn't make yourself, somebody else owns that car. Not in a traditional sense of ownership, but they have an invested interest, duty, responsibility, liability. Firestone mm-hmm. Tires. Remember Firestone Tires and the Explorer? Yeah. Back in uh, the 90s? <laughs> remember the Pinto? Yep. Yeah. I remember that one. <laughs> okay. Think about that. It's called the third-party doctrine. And you know I got a lot of people scuffed at me about that. I didn't make that up. I didn't create that. I'm not lying. I'm just telling you, if I put brake pads on your car, I'm responsible for those pads and the installation, and so is AutoZone. If I put tune-up, oil change, you bring me have you bring your car to have an oil change done, and I do I do an oil change on your car, and I tighten the plug, but for some reason or another, the plug came out and leaked all the oil out of your car or seeped out over time, for whatever reason. Maybe I didn't put the, the copper gasket back on the pan. Guess who's responsible for that engine? Not you. Unless you want to eat the engine, I, I, that's fine with me. Just don't, you know, don't say I did something bad to you. But if you mm-hmm. want me to pay for that engine, i got to buy you a new engine. That's So the question is, do I have a right to travel a normal conveyance automobile? See? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that. I'm a mechanic. I know this, you know. I used to think this way until one day I was sitting there eating my lunch. I was doing some breaks. I had a shop. The car was on the left. I was sitting there. Actually, the guy, the old, there's a nice black guy up the road that had this. Uh, he made a lot of money, too. He made more money than I did. He had this um, portable driving um, uh, kitchen. He drove down. He drove down to park. I said, park on the lot here. And I said, that's mine. And I want to buy some steaks from you or something. So he sat there. People would pull in and get steaks and see the shop. And they have, he'd have sell sausage and onions and all that kind of stuff, you know, like kind of fair food. He had the best damn uh, food there. And uh, I'm sitting there eating his food. And, I, and one day, after all, much of the, the turmoil in my own head, right to travel because I had a driving problem, I'm sitting there looking at the brakes. I'm like, how the hell did I know? I know this, but why? How did I not think of this? I'm putting the brakes on this car. I'm responsible for these. Per- you know, I got to torque these tires three times. All data says torque specification on the rims three times. 
you know how miserable that is? I got to torque it twice, and you bring it back to me in a week, and I got to walk outside and retorque them. You you bring it back to me in a week because you got that garbage alloy rims on this on that car. You know, huh. you know, you know that's a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> you know, you know, I don't charge you for that, right? Because you got the alloy alloy rims. I'm putting parts on your car. I'm responsible for your safety. I'm still trying to find you on eBay under Craig's Discount Auto, but go ahead. Well, that's interesting. When I when I enter your name, we need to know your link so we can get that SEO search engine optimization up. Hey, guest seven, yeah. six, and five, speak up if you want to. Type in the chat room. Welcome to the call, Law Jams. But we do need your link. Yeah, uh, or type up if you want to. In the Silence chat room. Exactly, essence, right? We are right. We're coming out of the gate. This is our second week, Rocco. Yeah, we're, we're slowly we're slowly building momentum here. That's all, folks. We're we're getting our file cabinets uh, full. All right, we're getting the office furnished. Okay. Right, right. We're triangulating. Yeah, so it's all good. We're gonna have a bunch of good stuff. On the front page of the website, I have that uh, inspection sheet. In the class, I have inspection sheets. Okay. You know, the truckers, this is another part of the class I talk about this. My brother's a trucker. Me and him have many debates about what engine, you know, trucker engine, who's got the bad, the meanest cat, caterpillar motor, uh, and this and that. And we're talking right. about the safety regulations you got to do and the cutting back of the driving hours and the log books and all that. Me and him's having a hell of a conversation. He wants to sue, and he's just talking outside of his neck because he's all mad because he's got to sit on the side of the road for 10 hours or something. <laughs> he's all pissed off. And we're sitting there talking back and forth. We did this for like a couple years. I said, well, tell me about the inspections. He said, well, I got the inspection, man. I got to take this sheet, and I got to walk around and either take photographs or everything, or I got to handwrite it out or both. He said, I prefer just take my camera. And I said, that's interesting. I said, what else? He goes, I, well, and then I got the, I got to make sure to all, I got to go, there's 108 checks I got to do or whatever it is on the truck while I'm getting ready to go on the road and so forth. I said, you got an inspection sheet for that? And he goes, yeah. He, I said, send that over. And I said, I just built my own. And you know what? I found out that, that inspection sheet can be entered into evidence as an exhibit, as counter evidence. I put that in the class. Why is that? Because the federal government requires that. To be honest, I have found some cases where the state judges have said, you need an inspection sheet every time you go out and get in your car. And I can't find those cases. I search forever. They're like they're locked up in a in a in a in a twilight zone in a vacuum wrapped up in a mystery and iniquity or a, a right. enigma. I can't find <laughs> them. Enigma. Mm-hmm. I know they're there, but so I said, well, I'm just going to incorporate this creating evidence. Go outside, film the film the lights, check the lights, seatbelt, the tires, no cracks in the windshield, blah blah. And if there are cracks, and the windshield doesn't obstruct, because the statute says it has to obstruct vision, and they don't. If it doesn't obstruct vision, then the, the, the crack is not necessarily an evil, wicked thing. Now, will the courts go for that crack? I don't know. That's a whole different animal, but the statute says that. The judges want to expand the crack. <clears throat> so I incorporate the I incorporated the, the inspection. I just made my own up. Make your own up. 
then go get it notarized. If ever if something ever come up about there's a controversy between the lights, well, here's my inspection sheet. You got something better than this? You've You're got talking cat- on your car, right? Not not your 18 wheeler. You're talking to your car. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, that's rebutting evidence with an affidavit <laughs> inspection sheet. Unless you live in Arkansas and they don't care. I know that. Well, they generally don't care here, but in cities, with the cities where they try to get you for everything coming and going, yeah, cities Mm -hmm. is important, but out in the rural area, they don't care. A highway patrol drive right by you and look, you ain't got no Mm seatbelt and they ain't gonna give a shit. (laughs) One day we was out and about, and uh, I'm in the passenger seat and. And somebody doesn't have a seatbelt on. And he looks at his his eyes looked like he was on crack. He got looking at right at somebody. I don't know who it was, but no, somebody's don't have seatbelts on. He he just looks and keeps looking and looking, and he just keeps going. And I said, "Did what?" Uh, uh, somebody put their seatbelt on. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. But in the cities where you people are, where people are locked up in the cities and got that, that that's that's evidence. The federal federal law requires truckers do it, and it's admissible. I got a bunch of I, I was creating a class for my brother because those guys are running heavy and fast. There's a whole bunch of them. There's a whole gang of them, a whole uh, a, a gangle bobble of them. And I met about five, six, or seven of them. I can't remember. And then there was like the buddies of theirs are all truckers. And they were coming out from out west, and they were running heavy and fast, and they, and they were complaining constantly, calling me, what do I do, what do I do? I said, tell me about everything you got to do. And, they, and I had them sit down, and I started jotting all these things that the DOT was doing, the highway patrol officers were doing about oh. whatever, and I started making a class on this. I have a trucker's rights class. I just never finished it. <laughs> I actually was going to market that. That would have been, if I could got that and like um, – one of the truck stops or something, and put that in a box and market that. I and that thing that I took off and sold for three or four hundred bucks. It would uh, be a good idea. I almost done it. I got I it's I got about four days into it already. Three, three, three or four days, something like that. I can't remember. It's been over a year. That's where I said, well, God, I'm going to adopt federal law, trucking regulations, and law into the automobile as evidence. See, the more we think about this, the more power and rights we got. We just simply take from here to there. Can we see what the little guys do down here? We have a lot of tour buses that come in and out of tourist town. And the little guys that – I haven't seen very many girls that work for – DOT. They've got their little business card, and last time I saw them, they had a little black shirt and a cute little, you know, avatar on their chest, khaki pants. <coughs> Excuse me. They go around to the parking lots, the restaurants, the music theaters, the hotels, the motels. They take out their little card and say, "At 9 a.m., you show up at this location." And that the bus drivers have to show up for inspection at that location or, I mean, you know, they've done their paperwork. I guess the little guys have um, a list of all the, you know, buses that they left a card with. But that's how they do it here. Interesting. 
show up at 9 o'clock at this location for inspection. And they do. It's interesting. Yeah, there is. Now you got evidence, so. Well, they didn't have a very hard job. They just drove around all the parking lots and stuck business cards. I'm sure they had a clipboard and they documented the place and the name of the tour bus and all that jazz. You know, what time it was at what restaurant and or, or what music show. And I would see these guys coming in at the end of the day, uh, you know, coming in, because I worked for a resort at that time. They'd come in and load up on beer, because at the end of the day, I'm sure they'd had enough, you know. Like, oh my gosh, look how many bus drivers we screwed today. <laughs> uh, well, well, anyway, I, you got to have a sense of humor. So that's my jib, man. That's uh, that, that this mindset's in the class. And just my experience, what I've learned, what. Well, now explain to those of us on this call. All right, I come to your website, lawjams.wixsite.com forward slash my site dash one, and then if, if I want to purchase, when I purchase a law class, how, how does the whole process start, you know, kind of walk us through that. Go to the, contact, uh, go to the class page. On the right-hand side, you'll see that it'll open up open up to a different page, and then you go down and you can pay with PayPal. And okay. It's to, to Craig's discount auto repairs, so you'll see when you pay out, it should say Craig's discount auto repair, and just pay, and then I drop I ship you the, I put the classes, I actually have drives already waiting, so I have drives now, but okay. just, I just simply, if I don't have one waiting, I simply put the material on the drive, and I got some extra bonus, I always still like trying to throw some extra stuff on there too, depends on what, you know, what's what, who wants what, and so forth. And, right. And then I ship it out, if, you okay. know, all three So I classes. go to the website, click on classes. And it looks like that I've got several choices here. Would you go over those? What what my choices are, um, and you know, for different budgets and different interests. So, the first choice is the the two weeks five days class. It's I object law class. It's the it's the big class, okay. and I cover a lot of areas. I try to make it not too overwhelming, but it kind of is, uh, and it's for a reason because. I, I needed my, for me and my and my auto technician brain, my own brain here. I needed to have as vast ex- exposure to the automobile as possible, from the the tailpipe clear to the internal workings of the transmission or motor or whatever. I wanted to, I wanted to have that much ex- exposure. Not all of it's relevant to the diagnostics, but to have that exposure makes me broad and wide. In terms of how to think, because I, what I realized was I need to be as broad and and in depth as possible, which gave me the edge to think about how to like the, there's a working paper on their facts, on how to uh, or not facts on fictions, 
when you read when I read that into the video, I talk about fictions, how to f identify the fictions and the elements, or the, the 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 communication that's talked about in Jeremiah Smith on fictions. It's important, okay? It's important because I want to be able to spot when the judge changes the law by justifying justification as to why he's doing me this way. Creating a fiction, trying to create an exception or expanding the statute. The question was, is, does the judge have the right to do that? No. And the truth movement, it's a very difficult area because nobody – there you go with nobody. <clears throat> it seems like many of the truth movements over time has not been able to digest that and get into that. The very fact that I – even if I didn't know anything, I take the fictions, I read it, I master the 38 pages of fictions. I'm a master at it, or I, I'm highly adverse to the fictions in the 38 pages. That's all I know. I walk into court with the 38 pages of my brain, like, hmm. Well, Your Honor, I object to it. You just created exceptions to the law. That's a fiction. That's a fiction. Here's a fiction. Here's a fiction. Over there's a fiction. I, even if I don't know how to do anything, I just start writing it out. And every time they open their mouth, they create an exception to the rule, the statute, or fiction. I make the objection, or I say I don't like it, or whatever I can do the best I can. That first class ha is is built on a lot of that mind. I try to make that mind because it's to have the exposure of the material that broad and that deep, which is generally not in the. I don't find it much in the truth movement. There's like these in the truth movement, which is which bothers me is they're like these walls. Everybody has these tethers and walls, and, and it, for the same, it's the same cases. I have a right to travel, and it's the same 27 cases over and over and over. But mm -hmm. we, when you put an application, the the results are different than what the cases are. Why is that? I have a right to travel, I agree, but the results are the same, and here's the tw same 27 cases. <clears throat> well, if... If I keep tearing that motor apart and putting it back together and the rod's still hammer, something's wrong. There's got to be some other components or some other issue I need to know with the crank rods and pistons. And so that's where the, that's where the class differs much from the truth movement. Thank you, Rocky, for uh, teaching me how to think that way. <laughs> there you go, huh? GM, baby. Trademark truth movement. You got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. It's all about words. Just, just, yeah. Joking. And this is all your creative um, work product, the way you put it together, correct? It, the way I create videos is is simply reading some materials, my own thought processes. Mm -hmm. You know, much of the material, there's a lot of free material in here. Uh, there's a lot of material I'm not selling. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's a lot of it's a given away just because, like, well, read this, take a look at that, and it's voluminous, but it a lot a lot of it or most or all of it's relevant at any given instance. Okay, uh, so there's like in uh, criminal procedure, I discovered, I read this under the record, I made the videos of it, said, well, look what I found. Here's how they're looking at all the twists and turns of. 
how to uh, move to suppress evidence. Here's why. Here you can. Here you can't. Here's what emotional limity is. Here's what it's designed to do. Here's what the court said. Meet these four elements. File your emotional limity. Meet these four things. I can do this. Here's my emotional limity. The cover page, and the brief and support by the local role. Boom. I wrote it up. Here it is. The appeals court. I use the the appeals court. I find uh, that. And not, and I, and I, I find it more so with the truth movement that some people actually do that pretty good. I mean, they're doing better that way, so that's kind of interesting. But um, that's the first class. The second was the civil rights class. In itself, that is after the first class, the inmates' rights, inmates' rights, chapter ten. That's probably my favorite chapter. I'm, I'm very, I'm an inmates' inmates' rights advocate. In, in the so, object. And class one, number yeah. one, I object, yeah. class, okay. That chapter there, chapter 10 is 12 plus hours because we that's where I needed to help the most. And that chapter actually laid the groundwork, much of that chapter laid the groundwork for my federal lawsuits, my suit, my suit, my research. So, and I care about inmates. I care about people. I mean, the, absolutely. There's the federal papers in there I give you, and I actually read one of them. You know, so here's something that the jails are doing, and the federal government's talked about this. Federal Civil Rights Commission, they talked about this. This is important. This is how bad this is. The, the, remember the, remember the, the conversation about eugenics? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Remember my conversation about uh, what happened in Germany and Poland and the concentration camps and genocide and that kind of stuff and their trail mm-hmm. of tears and <clears throat> well, here's what they're doing in jail. Now, these are federal papers. They turn fed, they turn the jails into hospitals, and, they, and they're purposely allowing tuberculosis, hepatitis, and all the other diseases in there to circulate and accumulate on purpose. It's in the oh. papers. These are, it's in the federal papers. I didn't make that up. They show you stats, how many inmates. I, it's all there. You're exposed to one inmate with hepatitis, you, th- that's an open door for a federal lawsuit right there. You, all you got to do is be in the same room. Yeah, we had care. that. We had well, that. It's in there. Up. They, had, they had guys with hepatitis who were like, what the hell are you doing? You brought two guys into this. Yeah, I, and, and yeah, it was crazy because the nurses would come in. They would have masks and gloves. I'm like, and nobody else has masks and gloves, but they do? I'm oh, going to go into I'm gonna go into it. I'm going to go into it. And I'll go in there right now and take a look at this. Chapter 10 is inmates' rights. Inmates' rights. I'm going to go to a second basic legal forms. So that's all the forms I wrote, statutes governing inmates' rights. Oh, by the way, uh, folder number three, wait till you see that on video. That's just amazing. I'm still amazed by all the the unlimited federal law protecting inmates' rights. See if it's in here. Uh, jail standards. You get a free copy of uh, federal jail, federal standards for uh, prisons and jails. I yeah, use yeah. that. I use that in my federal case. If there's anything to catch the federal judge's attention, it's called federal standards in prisons and jails. Now I got I got mine. I got my copy. My first copy from Gordon's class. Mm-hmm. But I didn't use that. I went over to Indiana. And it came in a book, and I used that. I bought it from um, Notre Notre Dame. 
I got mine out of a like a mine was a book that had um uh like a wax cover on it, you know, like a I don't know what kind of it's like a photo book, big staples. Mhm. So I got mine in a book and I simply printed that out. I scanned it, made it a PDF. I got mine out of Indiana. So I had actually two. I got one from Gordon. I got this one over in Indiana. So the one I got from Indiana, I'm using in this class here. Just because. So in Inmates' Rights, Chapter 10, Folder Number 4, let's see, Jail Standards, Jail Standards, Inspections, uh, Federal Standards for Prisons and Jails, Americans with Disabilities Act in this folder. Rocco. Okay. Okay. So, and so the purpose, uh, dimensions of adult and children, uh, equivalent, let's see, that's in there. So I'm going to go back to tuberculosis. Tuberculosis in prisons and jails. Public health strategies and challenges. And so they made this thing for the Federal Bureau of Prisons and speakers. These people made this. Describe the uh, epidemiology of TB in U.S. correctional facilities. Outline recommendation TB control measures. Review steps of TB contact investigations in correctional facility. Identify new strategies for TB control in correctional facilities. Soldiers from Fort Riley, Kansas, ill with Spanish influenza at a hospital ward in 1918. Next page. Epidemic incarceration. Incarcerated Americans, 1926 to 2005. Sources, Justice Policy Institute report. In now, this, 2000, excuse me. Is this in the federal standards of, of prisons and jails? No, this is this is, oh. deals with tuberculosis all by itself. Okay, okay, got it. In 2010, 2.3 million persons were incarcerated in the United States. We divide that into 308 million people, and whatever that number is, one out of 100 is going to prison. <laughs> whatever the number is. What's that? So you divide two point, what did I say that was? 2.3 million people are incarcerated in the United States. There's 308 million people. Divide that for me. Tell me what that number is. Okay. Um, Rocco, can you do that? I'm grabbing what? links. 2.3 million. People in the United States. What about? Divide that into 308 million. Three. Tell me what your number is. Just get close. Just work on it. Let me know. I'll keep reading. I got. 2010, 2.3 million people were incarcerated in the United States. Incarceration in the United States. Incarcerated rate 2010 was. 962 inmates to 100 uh, inmates slash 100,000 adults. From 1980 to 08, incarcerated population increased 600 percent. 09 to 2010 showed first declines in the incarcerated population since 1980. Untreated mental illness and substance abuse. Uh, Dem. Deinstitutionalization, whatever, uh, dissolution of mental health care facilities, criminalization of drug use, war on drug, mandatory minimum sentencing, etc. Uh, jails usually ad, uh, administered by local law enforcement. 
usually pre-trial uh, and inmates with one with one year sentence, state prison sentence, inmates, federal prisons, pre-trial sentence, inmates related to federal crimes. I put this in there because if we're going to argue inmates' rights or we got inmates' problems or whatever, private companies contract with government that commit prisoners and pay per addendum or monthly rate per prisoner privatization. U.S. Marshal Service, it goes through this, and it shows state and federal prison percent to design prison capacity that is occupied 05. It's got broke down colored maps. This is all colored. And there's a wonderful picture of a bunch of inmates on bunks. Too many people in a room. Same, another one. Pathogens of TB review. Person exposed to TB. TB. Arrow goes to another box, no infection. Goes downward, infection. Latent infection, 5% progress within two years. Active TB, and it shows a picture of a tuberculosis in the lungs. Latent infection, 90% never developed the disease. Latent infection, shows you how big it is by a roller, it's over an inch. Reported TB case in the United States, 92 to 2010. Um, let's see, 25,000 uh, in 1992, and by 2010, the number went down by over half, and we're right about 14,000. TB case rates, United States, t 2010, that's um, national average, 3.6, whatever. You can see these maps. National TB, na number of TB cases in U.S.-born versus foreign-born persons. United States, 1993, the, so foreign-born is the pink lines, the U.S.-born is the blue line, so let's read this again. Number of TB cases in U.S.-born versus foreign-born. What so, you're talking again is genocide and, um, it's genocide and eugenics again, are you not? Well. It's genocide in the prisons. It's policy, getting TB, getting these diseases, being subjugated to this stuff, it's kill you. Inmates at high risk of TB, HIV, foreign birth, substance abuse, lower socioeconomic status, uh, uh, congratulant setting, whatever, overcoming poor ventilation. Now, I argued this in my federal case. Overcrowding and poor ventilation. When you get to my portion where I talk about my case, I argue that. Frequent in inmate movement, I argued that. 1997 estimate, 40% TB cases passed through a correctional facility. 40%. MDR TB contact investigation dispersal of, uh, of 388 inmates. Contacts with six weeks into the investigation. Now, I'm going to talk about this. I had a book. <clears throat> I got it from New York uh, Health Department. And do you know that if you got a disease or they think you got a disease, do you know the New York Health Department has secret surveillance operations to watch you? Mm -hmm. And they and every state has this. If you're sick in some way and they think it's contagious or there's something that gives them cause to track you, whether it's DUI, it could be DUIs, it could be epilepsy, it could be a whole plethora of things. They have surveillance operations that will track you. They they did I I did some research on homosexuals. Okay. 
and I stumbled on to the fact that the the undercover agents would would stalk and follow homosexuals. Well, they did a lot of this in San Francisco into the bathhouses and so forth in the early, late seventies, early eighties, when the AIDS started mm-hmm. coming out. They would they would track those people. They were constantly under surveillance because they were great public safety risk. But the government didn't kill them. But for some reason now they have a high death rate at fifty six or fifty five to seventy fifty five to sixty four years old. They have a very high death rate. Imagine that. But whatever. It's here and over there. TB and correctional facilities. Correctional facilities. TB high incident setting. Oh. Often located in low inducients or communities, high health care providers and low incidents. I'm sorry. Uh, communities often lack experience with TB diagnosis and treatment. Jail, prison, health services staff, local county physicians. MMWR, uh, morbidality, whatever that is, mortality weekly report. Morbidity, morbid, it's based on the word morbid report. Yeah, morbid, yeah, I can't even pronounce it. And you're reading from what, Craig? I'm reading from the tuberculosis and jail death policy to kill you with intent, Craig Kirk versus Muskingum County. That's in folder number four. Okay. And that's uh, Chapter 10, Inmates' Rights. Okay. Now, I got to experience that, and many other people experience it. This this, this is my frustration over time. Hi, Steve Bag. Welcome. Welcome to the call. My frustration is, uh, I don't know, it's... I hate to see people locked up. They make mistakes, you know, public safety problems, threats to society, all these problems we cause ourselves or we're trapped into or the system's crazy or all the things mixed together. All the above? Yeah, I hate to see people locked up. So I just, it just, me and my family went over one time to the sheriff's department, did some, had the prayer shawls and the shofar and, did the thing over there and prayed for the inmates and all that stuff and that was a that was a wild experience I'm going to tell you. I, actually, I won't you, tell nobody, but I'll keep it. You, in my you brought a you brought a shofar. So how big was this shofar? A big twelve footer? <laughs> no, no, this was like a no. I know. So we had the whole the whole thing, you know, running across the street. It was Christmas time too. That was a wild experience. I ain't going to say what happened, but that was <laughs> we. Anyhow, I ask the Father in Heaven to protect inmates and do what, you know, because uh, I know how many inmates are in that building, and I know how old that yeah. building is, and it's not properly ventilated. They don't get to go outside. I don't know about the food, and, and I know the city water sucks. I mean, it's god-awful nasty, but I don't know about the food per se. I you know, Coshocton's kind of good that way. They do feed you, from what I understand, they do feed you relatively better than most jails I have ever either had the pleasure visiting, uh, pleasure dining in, yeah, or uh, read about. So, and then inside, a matter of fact, if you go over to in that folder, inmates' food rights, 
folder number six of chapter 10, Posner's food, uh, jail food. It's an appeals court opinion. The plaintiff and his and, uh, and uh, prisoner's civil rights who brought under 42 U.S.C. 1983 complains that the, he was subject to cruel and unusual punishment by personnel at the Milwaukee County Jail. Really, Milwaukee? That's just just north. So yeah, he has a. I like Judge Posner for inmates' rights issues and some other issues, but in terms of he's liberal. But I actually like this judge. He has a second less sustainable claim that we discuss at the end of this of the opinion. His appeals from the grant of summary judgment uh, for defendants who are the sheriffs, blah, 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 Milwaukee County, to county inspectors who work at the jail. I'll just read the little paragraph. It's in the class. Why am I, why did I put this in here? Because, shit, you know, the, the freedom group, the truth movement, ain't talking about suing on inmates' food. Right. The plaintiff is serving time in a Milwaukee state prison, but was transferred to the county jail on several occasions to enable him to attend court proceedings relating to the post-conviction petition. I actually have a chapter in there about post-conviction that he had filed. On the, on the second third stage, which lasted a week and 10 days, respectively, the jail fed him neutral loaf. Pursuant yeah. to a new policy... Pursuant to a no policy, so what chapter is policy? Let's cover the chapter. X out of there. Policy is, I have to go back and look. Policy is chapter 13. Give me a second here. Um, Pursuant to a new policy. The jail had adopted a making neutral loaf at the exclusive diet of prisoners who had been in segregation in prison. Here's another form of genocide. Yeah. Starvation. At the time of their transfer to the jail, even if the behavior of the jail was exemplary, neutral loaf, also spelled neutral loaf, is a bad tasting food given to prisoners as a form of punishment. Sure it is. It is colloquially known as prison loaf or disciplinary loaf. See Jeff Rudy, Dining Critics, tries neutral loaf, the prison food, to prisoners as a form of punishment. Now, I want to talk about this. Let's talk about that for a minute. Is that... that, I'm getting mad. (laughs) Is that in the court order? Ooh. Well, they're going to say it's administrative. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on here. Is that in the court order? Number two, is no. that in the statute? Number three, know. is that in the is that in the it's Department of Corrections guidelines, and does that mean oh. federal law? Extrajudicial determination or uh, yeah, punishment. Strictly policy. Wait a minute. They ex- yeah, they expanded. They themselves mm-hmm. claim the right to expand the sentencing guideline and the sentencing oh. order. Sure. Quasi-jurisdictional. Whatever. It's illegal as hell, but they did it. Dictators. The did. prison food for misbehaving inmates. Chicago Magazine, September 10. Chicago Mag, blah, blah, blah. Mag, I ain't going to read that. Critics taste nature lube. Prison food for misbehaving inmates. Alan Green, wood tasting nature lube. Blah, blah, blah. That just might be unconstitutionally bad. 
slate. Nature loaf. They got some cases inside this New York Times. It's in here. You can click. It's an annotated. It's a. This is actually a court opinion. What it's worse than solitary confinement? Just just taste the HTML. All the visit. Blah blah blah. I'm not gonna read that. On the third day, after two days of the neutral loaf diet, the plaintiff began vomiting his meal and experiencing stomach pains and constipation. He had vomited during his second stay as well. He stopped eating neutral loaf and, and subsisted for the eight remaining days. He he did a fast basically. His stay on bread and water. It's unclear how he obtained the bread. He stole it. I would too. He all he had weighed 168 pounds before his second and third stay at the jail, and he lost either five or six pounds during the second stay. Had not regained them, and by the end of the third stay, he was down to 154 pounds. He had lost 8.3 percent of his body weight as a result of the two stays, and had and had not been overweight at 168 pounds. The guard sent him to the infirmary after one of the voluntary entrance during the third stay, and the nurses gave there gave him antacids. See, here's the lawsuit right here. I highlight that in yellow for that reason. And a stool softener. This is the common crap they do in jail. And one of them told him his weight loss was alarming. Can I have that writing, please? Upon his return to state prison, he, com- he he continued experiencing painful defecations and bloody stool, and he was diagnosed with an anal f- uh, fissure that wa- that the defendants have now denied. Yeah. You know, de- uh, yeah. Wow. Denied he had developed while he was at the county jail. Now listen how ignorant they they literally, they literally tore him a new you know what. Yeah, well, listen, I went on uh, Wikipedia and looked up that anal fissure thing. Oh, God, that's disgusting. I, I recommend don't look at it if you can't stomach it. That's not ripped them. They ripped them a new one. So. The defendant's response to this suit has been uh, c- continuous, and we're surprised that the district judge did not impose sanctions. The defendant ignored the plaintiff's discovery demands, ignored the judge's order that they comply. Home rule, home rule, home rule with those demands and continued their defiance even after the judge threatened them to impose sanctions. But the judge failed to carry it through on his threat, so the threat proved empty. Home rule file, completely brand new lawsuits. They're they're afraid of home rule lawsuits, I'm gonna tell you. I know that for a fact. There's all kind of cases on it. The evidence the defendants submitted in support of their motion for summary judgment was now watch this garbage. Preposterous. This is Judge Posner. Preposterous, right. Preposterous affidavit from a sheriff's officer who was also the assistant chief of suburban Wisconsin Fire Department. <laughs> I want to know what the hell Neutrina or Neutra. Neutra Loaf? Just Google Neutra it up. Loaf. Yeah, uh-huh. just Google it up. I'm, I'm afraid to, but I will. Oh, it's garbage. It's genetically modified uh, whale shit. Yeah, you can you can see what it's made of neutral loaf. Yeah, you can just Google every time it I think Every time I think of neutral loaf, it makes me think of that uh, thick, heavy bread with all those nuts and gummy bears in it. What is that called? A trail mix? It, it's, oh, no, it's for Christmas. It's a Christmas cake. What is that where you have like a big Oh, thing? a fruit cake. 
Yeah, that's what it makes me think of. That shit makes me want to puke my guts out. And that's what it makes me think of. The affidavit states only, so far as bear on the appeal, the Nutrilov has been determined to be a nutritious substance for regular meals. All right, go back to inmates' rights. Go back to inmates' rights. Uh, let's see, inmates' rights. Go into inmates' rights, and let's go. Statutes that may govern your rights. There's more discovery in statutes than there will ever be in the rules of evidence or in the rules of civil or criminal procedure. When you look at it, there are numerous things in here like um, dairy, dairy products, dealer records, labeling of dairy products, generally regulations. Uh, let's see, dairy cattle regulations, swine, Ohio fire codes. Higher residential building codes are being applied to county jails. Powers of attorney. Wait till you wait till you wait till you hear that one. Hunting and trapping. That go well. Look what they do when you read the statute. What's hunting and trapping got to do with jail? What do you think the food's coming from? Sometimes some of these jails. Offenses against injustice or public administration. Why is that in here? Well, what are they doing? Offenses against justice and public administration. Is the jailers in the jail violating that statute? Broadly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go, there's a lot of, there's Board of Health, there's uh, health districts, there's pure food and drug law for Ohio, there's labeling and hazardous substance, State of Ohio Uniform Food Safety Code. All this it goes on and on, and ductwork system, general regulations for water, general provisions for water, sanitation, personnel. This is, I went through every one of these statutes. It took a long time to make this class. But the truth movement isn't focusing on these things. Discovery by statute itself. There's a, there is a discovery by statute, case law, federal database, Ohio database, federal case exhibits. Discovery by statute, there's a lot of material in here. Random, perjury, tampering with evidence, uh, making and causing false report of child uh, abuse or neglect. The statute actually goes deeper than that, but it, that's the title of it. Compounding the crime, disclosure of com- confidential information. How many times does the guards... How many times have the guards – I've seen this with my own personal eyes. How many times does the guard say, hey, go over and take care of this because this guy's acting up? And some idiot that works for the guard goes and tries to do that, and then he gets the shit made out of him. Now, there's a guy two bunks away from me. He's pissing on the floor because he's got a bag. He's laying – he's sitting in a wheelchair, been there for three days dying on us. Oh, my God. I walk up to the guard – this is when they put their guard check. I told the guard, I said, you got to go over dying, man. I said, this is acceptable. He's starting to smell like shit. He's pissing his pants. Blood, piss is coming out. He's got little blood droplets on his mouth. He looks like he's diseased. He's having a hard time. He's moving around. He's talking, but he can't eat. What are you guys going to do? He can't piss. The blood, the bag's leaking on the floor. And they're putting towels down to capture. What are you going to do about this? You mean the colostomy bag was Colostomy bag, right. Yeah. Sure, we had a guy like that in the county jail, and it was sick. And you know what the guards would say? The COs, you know, correctional officers, they'd say, hey, hey, go go change out that bag. Here's a new bag. We're like, 
you do this. These guys would pawn off their jobs, and they would uh, get other inmates to do their stuff for them. Or my favorite was, we need an interpreter. We'll give you a bag of chips. I'm like, dude, this <laughs> for 30 bucks. We'll give you a bag of chips to be an interpreter? And these guys would jump. I've seen guys slave labor three hours work for a grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, are you kidding me? These would these guys would sell their mother for a grilled cheese sandwich. Bottom line, it, it's so it's so backwards. You know, well, of course you, you'll you'll do anything to keep busy because you know you're in lockdown. I dereliction of duty, uh, interfering with civil rights. Using sham legal process, having weapons—that's that's not for us. But relief from weapons disabilities is a statute on that. And so the re- the reason I put that in here and, and talk about that is because the guy sitting in the wheelchair is is urinating out and sick. He's got gray. He's turning gray. I know he's dying. Yeah. And the second day this goes on. The third day I got up. I fucking I was. Excuse my language. Whoa, Trump, yeah. Yeah, I'm mad because I'm replaying this on my head. I get up on the bunk. The guy's, I'm trying to sleep. The guy's stinking. They got this on the floor. I'm sitting there gagging. I wake up. Uh, I I could see in my mind what I did. Oh, he's being poisoned, too, because the urine's backing up in his body because it's not draining in in the bag. Yeah, well... It's biohazardous yeah. waste, and there's Absolutely. federal and state law that deals specifically with biohazardous yes. federal waste. Absolutely. And it's actually a felony to to uh, to and it's this is another part of the genocide or the eugenics. It's part. It's a felony to have an inmate expose or, or cause this. It's actually a felony crime for the institution itself as a policy, or the guards not take this. These there's endless lawsuits. I'm not saying mm-hmm. sue. I'm saying these are the problems, right? So I get up out of my bunk. I'm in bunk 30, 39. Yeah, I'm in the bunk. When I read the, when I read my civil rights case, I read what bunk I'm at. I go to crawl through the facts. I'm in bunk 30, and I get up. There's two guards standing behind there. Man, I'm so mad. I mean, I, uh, I'm like, I take my fist, and I punch the desk and beat my fist on top of the desk. I, ca- I said, i got to be calm here because... That thing is welded into my brain. I, I'm going to tell you nicely. So I told him, I said, you bastards better get over there. I'm going to come over here and beat the shit out of you, too. I told him that, too. I said, I don't care who you get in here, how much spray, how much. I'm going to kick your asses if you guys don't to go over and do something about that. I did that. I screamed and hollered. I took the desk. I broke it off the off the studs. Here comes all the guards. Here comes the sergeants. I said, you what, you going to rush me? You guys got all the equipment on? I said, look at this guy over here. You guys better do something right now because we're going to have problems. He said, well, we're going to charge you with breaking the desk. I said, I don't care. Charge me. I'll answer the complaint. By the way, I want a law library because this is my 10th uh, in, uh, inmate's, uh, inmate's request for law library and other legal materials. You guys ain't giving it. You don't think we're just going to stop here, do you? This is... I've got 60 days here. We're going to go on and on. We're, and we're, well, this is just the beginning. They got him out of there. They never charged me. The sergeants kept coming up in there trying to get me to uh, do X, Y, Z thing, not to harass the guards. They finally put up this barrier where the guards were. I, so, I was so enraged 
that I, I actually could not take that anymore. I had other inmates standing behind me flipping the guards off. I said, you guys don't do that. But there was other people behind me, and I just got up, and I told them, this guy's over here dying. I'm not going to put up with that, man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I can't describe on the phone what I actually done or what I said. Okay? When I asked for that stuff, stuff in Discovery, they destroyed it. When I, filed, when I filed my federal lawsuit. Really? Yeah, they destroyed that. They said, well, it's a record, it's our retention policy only goes for six months. <laughs> I said, well, the state law says two years. So I was right at retention two years. Retention policy, that's in state jail? See, well, I, I don't know whether I buy that. I really don't, I don't. know whether I, I buy don't. that. Because, I, because I, they've got archives. That's right. I don't know whether I buy that I, uh, because they're going to keep it to CYOA their butt. Well, they yeah, and there is a Ohio a Historical Society that has a repository that sticks all governmental documents, makes copies of microfish, whatever, into mm-hmm. there. They have that, and there is a state and federal retention policies and law statutes that deal with that. So I was I come unhinged at my own peril, getting more charges and all these things because this guy over here is just bleeding out or dying or whatever. And, and I'm the only one that did that. Everybody said, hey, man, you got to go in and fix this guy. He's over there. You know, he's got piss on the floor. And, you know, I just couldn't take that no more. I couldn't psychologically take it. It was causing me damage. I was, I was, uh, it was legal abuse syndrome. <laughs> right, exactly. See, that's, I got that book today. It's uh, it's on order. Legal yeah, abuse syndrome. Yeah. Absolutely. So these things are in, that's, that's, Chapter 10, inmates' rights. This stuff's important, man, because it's the most vulnerable place we got is inmates being subjugated to that. Now, I'm not here to I'm not here to say tear down the county or tear down the jail. I'm saying we got to fix this, man, for right for the overall people. I mean, is and not just county and state, but federal as well. Yeah, I haven't experienced that, but yes, I. I've had people that's called me and talked to me about that, and that's, that's some places worse than what I experienced right. federally. They get everything so. cleaned up before the inspectors come in to do their, I forget what they call it, but they have a yearly or, or maybe in, uh, ever so often inspection. Well, and I was told on, in, in the federal prisons, oh, you know, they do a cleanup job and a half before those inspections because, the inspections have to pass, you know, they have to get so many points on so many things in order to pass. Like one of the things that Michael was having a problem with was, um, and he was in Terre Haute, in the, um, in the Communications manager, Management Center, CMU, but there was a lot of mold, right? There, there was a uh, basement under the prison, and when... In certain parts of the prison, uh, all the the prisoners would get runny noses, sniffly noses, you know, uh, like congestion and coughing, and it was because the mold was growing and coming up to the you know the first floor up out of the basement. So stuff like that. I mean, that is taking, you know, that is taking their that is a public safety challenge right there, you know, yeah. for the prisons 
to fix. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess there's diabetes rates are off the charts in prisons now. I mean, it's a... Uh, oh, you know what? Well, you know what's really sick is they're getting... Here's what they're feeding these guys. Well, they're selling this on commissary, canteen. That ramen noodle, MSG, through yeah. the roof. Everybody's got diabetes. Everybody's taking pills. High blood pressure. Well, everybody. A bunch of people. High blood pressure, diabetes, that combination. Oh, yeah. Eat more MSG, more ramen noodles. It's the cheapest thing in canteen. And they don't feed you. They feed you garbage. You know, yeah. and then they got people just working, you know, for food. They, they get these p- pathetic pay Rate or, or rates, and, and then they're cutting them. They're always dropping the uh, the pay. It's it's just it's insane. It is uh, it's terrible. I'm going to read you a statute. Take a look at this. Want to know who to sue? Here you go. Now I did this at Ten TV Columbus, Ohio, on Facebook, and I talked about this over and over and over. Ten TV is the state of Ohio's primary. Central Ohio is where the state legislature is. Ten TV went around to the tri county or tri county areas and talked to, to judges. Now I'm going to read you what Ten TV talked to the judges. And I post this on TV talking about inmates' rights. When they put articles up about inmates' rights and all these things, I went to the statutes and here's the statute. Chapter 341: Jails and Courts, Jail Register, Operational Policies and Procedures, Prisoner Rules of Conduct. Ready? Here we go. The Court of Common Pleas, which is the Superior Court, then you go to the Appeals and State Supreme Courts. So we got we got uh, Mayors, Muni Court, Court of Common Pleas, Civil and Criminal, Appeals Court, Supreme Court. So we got the tier, right? So it's the Court of Common Pleas. This is in the statute. The Court of Common Pleas shall review the jail's operational policies and procedures. And prisoners' rules of conduct. If the court approves the policies, procedures, and rules of conduct, they shall be adopted. Who do you sue? Who's number the one? Judge. The, the yeah, judge. The right. judge. If he if he approves the policy, that's the judge signing off. Yeah. Does he have immunity? No. That's right. Did not in that you? case. Well, not in and that case he does. Well, then. That one statement and that part of the statute opens the door to thousands of things. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You sue the judge in that county. You sue that county and that judge first. And then you go, before you do all that, you take your brief, well-written brief, go over to your county commissioners and make them known. Hey, look, we, and I got the county commissioners in the chapter in this book, so or in this class. So I'm going to go back to county commissioners real quick. I go to Chapter 4, Trial Notebook, Extracted Files. Where are you at here? Uh, King's Highway. King's Highway. Yeah, well, I'll tell you why it's King's Highway. History of Ohio Highways. Highway financing and municipal government before 1912. In colonial times and through the first quarter of the 19th century, highways were considered a function of general government, generally of local government. um, home rule, and were financed through property and poll taxes. You know where the idea of poll taxes come from? Head tax. I mean, poll tax. Yeah. Who? Where did poll taxes come from? 
the, the Muslims. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. We didn't make this up. They we adopted this. When Ohio became a state, no, eighteen oh actually eighteen oh three. Excuse me. 1802, it should say, and 1774 or three, when the first state was legislative enactment, but they didn't put that in here, so I won't, that's you know here nor there. It did not contribute toward the maintenance of highways until 1819, when it passed a property tax for roads of one half percent of the one uh, percent per acre land. Throughout the 1800s, Ohio agricultural business was the biggest industry agrarian society biggest industry and its products were in demand ohio needed to find a way to transport these products to eastern seaboard both to, for domestic consumption and exports to europe internet here's the here's the vital stuff now I'll take europe and then go to the middle east and and asia minor major the the silk routes up into china by the by the um christian um God, who were they? God, the Christians. Uh, Templars? No, no, no. No, <laughs> no they were... Um, uh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll come back to that later if I can remember. See, uh, consumption of export to Europe. River transportation ran south and west. Canals ran north and south. Local governments could not meet the demand for transportation, so private enterprises entered the picture and built toll roads. Hundreds of corporations were chartered, Hundreds of corporations were chartered. Hundreds of corporations were chartered in Ohio mm -hmm. to finance highway construction, with most having a provision for the 10% return on investment until the capital was returned, after which the roads became free. However, toll roads failed for a number of reasons. Two biggest reasons were the rise in rail transportation and the electric railways. Road construction maintenance financing fell out of favor in the 1800s, and highways reverted uh, to their former status of government responsibility, again, financed through poll taxes and general property taxation. A report in 1892 on the status of, of uh, highways in Ohio found that the roads would never be more than a, a local interest and recommended the action part of the state to assist the maintenance of them. No state allotments for roads to, to local governments were made until 1851. That's when our that's when our uh, constitution was amended. When a law that began in 18, 1905, the state allocated uh, 113 of each of the county highway purposes. Development of automobile in the early 20th century restored the importance of the highway and, in fact, revolutionized transportation by changing highways from neighborhood travel routes to uh, arteries of commerce. Arteries of commerce, highway financing, and the role of local government began to change too. Local governments were demanding more independence from the state. Prior to the passing of the Constitutional Amendment in 1812 for Ohio, all municipal corporations were created directly by a General Assembly through the passing of a special act. The act provided for the form of organization, structural powers, and functions of each municipal government. Because separate acts were passed for each municipality, the form of the government and its accompanying powers varied among the municipalities. Additionally, every time the municipality needed to address needed to address an issue affecting the city, the General Assembly had to pass special legislation. This gave General Assembly a great deal of control over local governments. This is what we should be dealing with right now. 
when they when they gave it to the local county commissioners and the home rule, they flipped the, the entire state upside down. With this powers came political abuse at the in at the least in the eyes of the municipal governments. As the state grew population, so did the municipalities with the increase of population in the instance of in the amount of special legislation needed to satisfy each municipal need. And this became very burdensome for both General Assembly and the municipalities. In 1851, the voters amended the Ohio Constitution to prohibit General Assembly from passing special act conferring corporate powers on the municipality. In addition, the Constitution provided for organization of municipalities through general laws. General Assembly began no pass. Be, uh, began to pass no laws, including establishment of clauses and grades of, uh, grades of municipalities according to the population. However, in 1802, the Supreme Court case found that these classification laws were, in essence, special acts and therefore unconstitutional. Now, why is this in here? Because the county commissioners uh, ultimately ended up as kings, the three kings. That's why I called them the three kings. When you read this for Ohio, just use it for Ohio, you read this, you're like, Jesus. Then you take the concepts, you go from one state to another and start looking. Do you have county commissioners? If so, look at, look at the power the county commissioners have. Now, over time, the county commissioners are responsible for the inmates' rights. The county commissioners have been conferred powers to them silently. We've seen this with the southern commissions. And the, and it's been said that the county commissioners have voted in secrecy either with state or themselves to have people murdered in jails or prison or both. That's why I call them the three kings. And it goes on. And that's why this history stuff is in here. That's why I didn't put this in here because I'm, you know, I'm just doing it to, for filler like, you know, beans and rice. <laughs> this isn't beans, beans. and rice, is we need beans and cornbread pudding, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> in in 1904, the state commission became state highway department. Department was changed, charged with construction of public highways, but served more as an advisor to county and township governments. Its initial legislative mandate provided that the department should facilitate assist a state a system of state, county, and township cooperation in the permanent improvement of the public highways. The department could, all, could only give state aid to, for highways construction to counties and townships. Notably absent from this mandate was a requirement to cooperate to municipal corporations and the establishment of municipal streets. In 1909, the first motor vehicle license fees were introduced as a source of revenue for road maintenance and fund funds were held in the state of state maintenance and repair fund. It was not until 1919 that only that any of these funds were allocated to political subdivisions, counties. 1912, the same year, the Home Rule and the amendment was approved. The state highway department changed from mere advisory agency to active construction department. Its first major undertaking was the construction of state system of roads that was continuous and connected, including the construction and inter-county highway system and the main market road system, which considered inner-city roads. In 1919, the state maintenance and repair fund allocated 50% of the fees to municipal corporations and counties, political subdivisions, home rule. 
the basis number of vehicle registration and retain 50% in the fund. That's where your sticker for your plate comes in. What county are you from? We're from County 16, which is Coshocton. We just call it 1623. The state enacted a motor transportation license fee on carriers, which was distributed 50% of the municipal corporation and contained uh, along the routes of the carriers on the linear miles in each subdivision, blah, blah. I'm not going to read anymore. Highways in the present this day. Home rule and the state highways. Now, this is the reason I'm talking about the Three Kings because you have to get to the road, you have to go to the road to get to the jail. You get to the jail, you gotta, you know, you're inside the jail, there's a road and there's an address. The county commissioners, ultimately, when you look at the powers of the county commissioners for Ohio, they have the power of the purse. Truth is, they have more power than that. That's not described under the common law. They got power to have people executed and murdered. I go as far as contend that the county commissioners have the power to ha allow drug trafficking to come into the county too. I go, I go that, I go even further. I think the county commissioners have the power to allow drug trafficking because they're the three kings that oversee the entire county with money. All roads lead to the Federal Reserve paper system in the county, follow the money. They oversee everything with money. Nothing works without their money. Right. They have money for everything. They well, fund everything. Well, commercial paper. They're pushing commercial paper. Well, I know that, but that's the truth movement. <laughs> no, it's not, I mean? it, uh, no, but it's true. See? They, okay, right. everything, uh, well, okay, allow me to explain it, if I can. The, it. it what it is, they have to fill out a report, a document, or a form. If you've ever worked for the federal government, everybody knows this, and, and everybody knows the courts are form-driven, whatever we want to call it. But, okay, county commissioner has to fill out whatever to get whatever. I mean, they're just not passing. Re request you know. for funds, you know, allocation. Yeah. Or they're applying for a grant, Right. Or you know, sure. Uh, they're 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 having to do an inner office memo, if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah. From one department to the other. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. That's pretty much what. But in a nutshell, that's exactly right. That's exactly what they're doing. And commercial paper is not a dirty word, by the way. Because I mean I see it in finance. I mean you know I'm I'm familiar with it in on the financing side of it. And um, I mean I get what you're saying about the truth movement. I really do. But that's exactly what it is. You know if you work in the city, state, county, local, federal, any agency, any agency, quote unquote, they've got to push a paper out of their office into another office. Okay. The next office has to either say yay or nay, you know, to get something. You know, there has to be documentation. And that's where, that's what we have the, the right and the duty to know what they're doing. Most most people don't. But we, we you know, we are, we, we are supposed to keep up with this, and most people don't keep up with it. Yeah, now, I, I have another twist on this, too, and that's right. Please. Okay, here, this goes to a right to travel. That's what's in here, too, and I talked about this in the class. I actually read this. 
So I, I scrolled down a little bit, and Section 552101 provides that only whether a director declares that there is an urgent need to establish a state highway, which is to be distinguished a federal aid highway. That's called mm-hmm. a military runway or federal aid interstate highway within the municipality corporation or, in the opinion of the director, any federal aid highway or federal aid interstate highway is in urgent need of repair, re- reconstruction, widening, improvement, or relocation so as to accommodate the traveling public. Uh, now, here's your interstate right to travel, right? Traveling okay. public. Can the director act with uh, without the, the consent of the municipal corporation. This section also provides that such action is still subject to judicial review by the Court of Common Pleas. The revised code provides that the director specific authority to enter on upon a highway within a municipal, uh, municipality for other purposes. Section 51.1101 provides that further. Here we go. We're going to get to the neat part of this. State highway routes into and through the municipal corporation as the designated or indicated by state highway route markers erected therein are state highways and a part of the state highway system. The director may erect state highway route markers and such other signs directing traffic as the director thinks proper upon the portions of the state highway system laying within the municipal corporation and the consent of the municipal corporation such erection, the consent, and marking shall not be necessary. However, the director may erect traffic signs in villages in accordance with Section 552101 of the Revised Code. No charges, no changes in the route of any highway through a municipal corporation shall be made except after providing public involvement activities. Emphasis added. Here we go. Similarly, Section 5501-41, the revised code limits the director's powers over snow and ice removal within the municipal corporation. The director may remove snow ice from the state highways within the municipal corporations, but before doing so, he must obtain consent from the legislature authority to such municipal corporations. Clearly, the importance of all these provisions is that with the few specific exceptions, the General Assembly has supported the upheld the past practice of local control over municipal streets as well as the home rule limitation of the Ohio Constitution. Any road work done on a highway designed as a state route within a municipal corporation is permissibly on the part of the director and requires the director to obtain legislative consent of the municipality. You with me? Yeah. Let's talk talk about right to travel for a minute. Let's expand this even further and go argue this. Now, they may roll against us. I don't know. don't care at this point. But how about DUI checkpoints? Right. How about... Just shooting radar. How about uh, uh, traffic stops? Right. Now, they claim to have public safety right to make traffic stops probable cause, all these things. That's true. I, okay, uh, that's true. You guys are going to argue that. You're going to get that anyway, so I'm going to probably lose on that. But uh, oftentimes I find that they block the roads without legislative consent. Now, 
there's a lot more categories of blocking the road, whether it's a state highway or not. Okay, so the the thing about this is that even if I can't win, I I still want to make the argument or or move to expand the assault on the court's jurisdiction about blocking the road, right to travel. So we got we have a legislative statute that says a uh, statute legislatively it says you got to get you got to get permission. Okay. But then, then, then the prosecutor—he's going to have to come back and argue. Well, we're a municipal corporation, political subdivision. We have a right to do this here. So, if they're not on a state highway, but they're on a county road or something, uh, there's still an arguments to be made there. Untapped, virgin arguments to be made. I don't know where they are. I know they exist because just the very nature of this. For, and it goes on for, to say, for charter municipalities, the term self-government, as found in Article whatever, Section 3, has been interpreted by the Ohio courts to include the regulation of municipal streets. See Village of Perrysburg versus Ridgeway, 1923. <clears throat> uh, hmm. Syllabus, blah, blah, power to establish, open, improve, maintaining, and repair public streets within the municipality and fully control of the use of them is included within the term power of of local self-government. Now, see, now here's where the home rule kicks in. They're saying they have a certain amount of power. They can do it within their own territory or their own local area, home rule area, okay? If they break state law, that's why I talk about the home rule in that one document. If they break state law or federal law, then the home rule has to take a back seat. You know all these illegal traffic stops and all these shooting of people and all these things? There's a hell of a case to be made. Where it's at, I don't know because I haven't researched it that way yet. But I'm telling you, there's a hell of a case to be made, and they're, and they're not being made. And at the crux of this is the home rule. The lawyers ain't going in the court arguing the home rule. Same with the inmates. The the judge, who's the judge? Let's see here. The court of complaints shall review the the jail's operational policy, policies and procedures and prisoners' rules of conduct. The court approves the policies and procedures of the rules of conduct. They shall be approved. We're back to the home rule, the county, the roads. Where we are is where the suit is, and the judge is going to be responsible for the inmates, right? Now I got, I'm got i on two two topics here. I know that. <laughs> right. But the county commissioners are paying the fund this, and there's, there is a, there's a separation between the state and the county. So, in essence, the statute with the driving isolates the county, local powers, as long as and – then, and then – if I go back this way, uh, I go back this way again here. I'll open this up, and then I'll go to trial notebook. I'll go to extractive files again. I see municipal home rule. Ohio municipal home rule. Ohio municipal corporations, cities, buildings were created. Certain powers granted by them. Blah blah. The Ohio Constitution exists outside the authority found in the revised code. Outside the outside the code. Because they, these powers originate in the Constitution laws passed by the General Assembly that interfere with them 
may be invalid as applied to municipal corporations unless those laws are sanctioned by other provisions of the Constitution. These powers granted by the Constitution, as known as the Home Rule powers, include the power of self-local government, the exercise to contain police powers. See this? The Constitution and known as the Home Rule powers include the power of self-local government, the exercise of certain police powers, and the ownership and operation of public utilities. The paper uh, briefly discusses each of these powers. Freedom Movement needs to be talking about this. And you're reading Our, out of? This is, this is in Chapter 4, uh, or... Chapter 4, uh, Trial Notebook. You open Chapter 4, go down to the first folder. It's called Extracted Files, because this is part of my Trial Notebook, Municipal Home Rule. Right below mm-hmm. that is CORSA, which is uh, the county insurance. And right and as soon as you get to that one, you go to the next one. It says li- Liability, Immunity, and Insurance. And it deals with Governmental, governmental and proprietary functions, what they are, why that's important, and it deals with jails, detention facilities, and other determined uh, determined facilities, regulation of, of traffic and erection of signs and si- signals or other control devices, operation of a job and family service department, public defender service, they're all in yellow, utilities including, when you, and when you get... <laughs> I set this up myself right soon. Liability and immunities of individual officers and employees. Officers and employees, not independent contractors, are are immune from liability unless one of the following apply, Revised Code 274403A6. That's the Ohio immunity statutes. The acts are manifestly outside the scope of the employment of the uh, official responsibility. That's two. That's one. Two. This is all in yellow. I highlight this. The acts were made with uh, malicious purpose in bad faith or in wanton or reckless manner. Liability is expressly imposed upon the employer uh, by uh, another section of the revised code. An example would be the action allowed against the county treasurer for malfeasance. That's revised code 321.37. Additional protections for counties. It describes it. Civil rights claims against individuals. Under federal law, individuals who act under color of state law to deprive civil rights may be sued in federal court. Examples of such suits involve police brutality and jail conditions, cases, yeah. harassment, wrongful termination cases, and zoning cases. Revised Code 2744 and thereafter, the available immunities and defenses include the chapter would not apply to actions brought in federal court. <laughs> However, in federal court actions, generally an individual is immune uh, if the employee acted in good faith or if the actions were reasonable to uh, to the reasonable observer. Now, they're spelling out how to make your case. And they actually cite a hell of a federal case. There's two of them, Mitchell versus Foresight, attorney fees, paralegal fees. Where you see attorney fees, just flip the name, paralegal research fees. Remove the word attorney and put paralegal research fees. If permitted, if right. permitted under sexual law re- reference in the suit, are available for successful claimant, uh, Carey versus Papas. 
civil rights against counties, statute of limitations, insurance on debt pay claims and established reserves, popular insurance options, no insurance, commercial insurance, self-insurance, partial self-insurance, joint self-insurance, pools. This is now this this is Ohio law, right? Well, it's Ohio, but it describes the counties. You just simply take okay. the counties, go from state to state, and ask the question: Well, who's insuring? What kind of insurance? Basically, it's giving you a roadmap, and pretty much, generally speaking, every county's got the same problems with liability. Mm-hmm. In Ohio, there was 1979. There was a case called Zent's case, and I had that Zent's case in here. The state Supreme Court of Ohio uh, waived immunity for Ohio counties. Supreme Court rolled against the county, and they lost immunity and had to get insurance before they were immune. This is Ohio County Commissioner's Handbook, which is Section 4, Section 6, course. All you got to do is go find your own material, and boom, there you go. This deals with inmates' rights. It's all about. I put their surviving fictions on number ten. God, that's a beautiful one. Statutory construction, ice versus seeger, religious objection, final orders. Got to get final journalized orders. Say it with me, guys. Have to get final <laughs> journalized orders. Have to get final journalized orders. Without it then it's next to impossible to appeal. Generally speaking, break down the facts, traffic stops, and the beginning leads database, unauthorized use of databases. This right. Misappro- misappropriation of funds, right, all that stuff. Yeah, leads database, yeah. unauthorized uh, use of property, pre-trip yeah, because. Once they once they start pushing buttons and key stroking that cop on the side of the road, boom, he he is starting the database, the the illegal database entry, and then from there creating all sorts of bonds and instruments and you know, and they're raiding you your accounts. So yeah. oh oh and the right, latest thing I want to talk to you about, what about the latest civil forfeiture? They're they're grabbing your your credit cards, gift cards now, and they're saying we suspect fact that this has been used in a drug deal. You know, hey, you stuffed $700 in your seat, and this, we found a door, no, no, I'm sorry, we found a car with four doors, and your car has four doors, so it matches our description of a car that was used in a drug deal. We're pulling the $700 you have stuffed in the seat because drug dealers do that. Oh, and give us those gift cards because, hey, drug dealers also carry gift cards, and they're getting away with it. They're doing this. They're swiping it, and it's electronically going into that your gift card account, taking it out. Mm-hmm. They're doing this crap. I know. We got to gotta talk about that. That is devious. That is uh, this is this is a whole new level of civil forfeiture. Yeah, that's thank, it's thank, thank God for NDA and the Patriot Act. Don't you just love the Patriot Act? No, gosh, that's where it's coming from. Yeah, Patriot Mythology, right there, Patriot Act, Patriot, <laughs> Patriot, yeah. I said it, don't you say it, <laughs> anyway. No, serious, the Patriot Act, Exactly. Uh, I was in an Amish store up north here a while back, and I walked in the store, and there's this monstrous plaque on the wall that says, we got to obey the Patriot Act, 
<laughs> I went and found the Amish store owner, and we had a hell of a conversation. It's like, well, what's up with this Patriot Act? Oh, you don't want to know everything. I said, I tell me everything. And I said, we had a conversation <laughs> back and forth. And I was like, that's interesting. you got to do all these things. They come in and check. We come and check everything, make sure we pay taxes. And because, and, you know, the Amish, you know, they, you know, how they operate and work and yeah. stuff. themselves. Right. Their own little sphere, their own little flat earth society. <laughs> and they were horse and buggy. And he went on to tell me about some things they had the problems with about Patriot. I don't want to discuss it because then that, you know, right, right, but, but that's a good to right, know. Right, but I, I, and they had to put it up in a sign, sign yeah. it, and clearly post it. Yeah. So you just so you throw back some ale with uh, old uh, Hezekiah there over the Cracker Barrel or what? <laughs> well, no, uh, no, no, I just let let him tell me everything. Two hours he sat there, uh, and my feet was killing me. You know, I'm kind of fat, so my feet were hurting me. Well, you you kind of lost me when you said the word proprietary. Oh yeah. Because yeah. When they threw that in the laws, I mean, come on now. Do you realize how serious that is in a, in a, and of itself? All ownership. All ownership. Intellectual, and, and I physical. And could be a secret. It could be a secret sauce recipe. In, intellectual, right. Intellectual property. Governmental uh, function, proprietary function. I had a judge right. tell me a while back here, Rocker knows the story, uh, I was talking about the database, and the judge says, "Oh, that's proprietary. Government, that's oh. proprietary function of government." Right. Uh, and I was like, "Really?" She knew where I was going. She 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 knew I. They knew where I was going with that. They was reading. They was like, "This guy wants what from the?" Because in Ohio, the the sheriff, there has to be a sergeant or somebody ranking of power and stature and structure and certified and bought and insured. To oversee the operation mm-hmm. of the, data, the radio communications and database entry. Absolutely. On duty 24 7 or yeah. accessible. And and I said, I want that material. You know, I'm digging deep. Why is that? Because we get to discovery who called what, when. There was, there was playing games with discovery and sheriffs and all these kind of stuff. And that's some serious business. I'm, I'm striking at the very root. Right. Of we the because if you get in trouble with the Leeds database, guess what? The state can take it away from you, and you ain't got no database. You can't. You will be without communication in the county. You'll either have to go get your own and pay for it, or you lose database statewide. And I'm telling you, that's what I was striking at the root at. I took my Maddox, and I was striking at that root. This is the why I'm here is this is it, because if they break the law, I mean, come on, man. I got to follow the law? That's that's absurd. Leeds database and honor authorized use of property. When you read that, it's number 16. It's incredible. Then you take the concept and you go apply it wherever. Pre-trip, post-trip inspection. I talked about that, having your own evidence. Traffic stop checklist, search warrant, search and arrest checklist, use of deadly force checklist, traffic 10 codes, chapter going to court is full document. This was part of my trial notebook. Actually, it goes in a Powers case, a Zent case, municipal home rule, of course, uh, broken duty, surviving fictions. I want to touch on that. And we're getting oh. pretty late here. I want to touch oh, on Oh, hey, 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 I want to tell you something. Um, uh, as far as a future call, I, I, 
I don't know how to say this, but just to come out and say it, I know this uh, uh, private investigator. He's also law enforcement. He and I said maybe you want to come on and talk with Craig, and because uh, he's very much into. Uh, um, he knows you got to record these guys, you know, get the microphones, get the audio, get the video. So I was thinking about having him, have you talk to him first, and maybe you guys could kick around some ideas. But he's all about making the record, getting the record, get get what we need from law enforcement as far as being on the, on the, you know, other end of the spectrum, stops, gathering evidence and all that. And then, he, of course, he has his skill set. He does the nasty stuff that people don't like to do, like, you know, uh, serving up that judge if you're uh, – uh, so he does specialty things the like that. The process server, too? Yes, yes, he does that. Because he knows, he, <laughs> There's yeah, the most, but, but Everybody but hates he, process but, but, but let me tell you, he, he, I, I will tell you this, he's, he's pricey. He's pricey, but this is what he does. He he'll he'll chill travel state lines and do it all and but that's what he does. So I'm thinking you're gonna talk to this guy first and I'd love to have a, a show where you guys could um you know, just just talk together and actually go go somewhere, formulate ideas and just run through hypothetical scenarios where we could all benefit from this knowledge and services both you guys could provide and you could probably maybe do it in tandem, you know, helping, you know, maybe somebody out there who's got a situation. They don't right. know what to That's do with it. So. That's yeah. we'll, 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 we'll talk. We'll talk about that later. So that just right. happened today. It just came to mind. So. Right. I want to re- I want to talk about fictions for a second. Mm-hmm. Now, I put this in part of my trial notebook, and I was looking for this. And I found a god-awful lot. There was more than I wanted to even talk about. They was just piled. I mean, it looked like dead bodies. Looked like uh, I don't want to say that. That's not cool. Um, they were dead bodies, but I don't want to say what by who, what kind of dead bodies they were. Right. It was just piled up. This this case. This is surviving fictions. Jeremiah Smith. I put this in the class because this is important. It is sometimes asserted that the use of fiction in law is now practically obsolete, a thing of the past. Mister Old Augers says legal fictions have well nigh disappeared, but this. But this strong statement is erroneous. Instance of old fictions which are still in common use will be given in later part of this paper. I'm going to read just this little, this little, this one page here. The reason I'm doing that is because this is this still happens. They play this game all the time, and every time you let them to get away with something, it creates a new fiction. I'll give you one example: subpoena to a sheriff. Oh, there's a new date change. We got a new trial date, so that subpoena has been quashed just by the new trial date. I want you to think about that. Subpoena to the sheriff, and boop, there's a new date change, and now everybody's not coming to court oh, on this day. I, I got you. I got you. Got it. it? Right. I got you. Yeah, you. I got you. Sure. Okay. Moreover, in the law, the law is not only in encumbered by old fiction but is in danger of having new ones fostered this is night this is nineteen twenties or thirteen or nineteen thirteen or whatever upon it. Mr Benton Bentham, who died in eighteen thirty uh, thirty two, did not believe that the crime of inventing new fiction was likely ever again to be
be committed, but he was mistaken. Twenty-five years later, after his death, the English courts invented and implied what Sir Francis Pollock calls one of the most brilliant and successful fixes of the common law. You ready? The implied warranty of authority. Uh oh. It's a fiction, which right. is attached to the acts of professed agents, state or federal, city, county, mm-hmm. home rule, and Sir Francis Pollock is calling attention to the instance that expressed his dissent from the Maine's view that there are there is now no, left no room for fictions. In fact, past there have been two principal reasons for employment of fictions of law. Here we go. Isn't it the backbone of limited liability, or is that no? Something else. Well, Implied warranty? Is that related? Just had an idea. That's a broad question. I'd have to go back okay. and research okay. that and make sure. Okay. I, I don't know okay. the totality of that. Okay. We'll That's book. a good question. We'll bookmark that. Okay. Continue, please. First, number one, cure of deficiencies in the law of procedure. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I know where this is coming. Going. To cure the deficiencies in the law of procedure. Hmm. Procedure, Making making or changing the substance. Second, to conceal the fact that judges by their decisions are making or changing the substantive law. As to the first reason, under the old law, it is literal and rigid form. There was, in many just cases, no remedy whatsoever. That's not true, but that's how they viewed it because they didn't figure it out. The law of procedure needed amendment, but legislation was exceptional. That's where they came into notice pleading. Now, they believed they couldn't come up with a remedy. Can you believe how ignorant that is? There's no way impossible to come up with a remedy. There's nothing in law to come up with a remedy. Can you believe that? Mm, right. I guess equity only started in 1913. Notice pleading, you know, uh, notice pleading and stuff. I guess there was no such thing as equity for the last 6,000 years. You know how ignorant that is? And they believed that in court. They, they play, it was a fiction. It was a fiction. And occasionally, and desirably, now judges had the power even back then to go outside the sentencing guidelines or the case to, to create a remedy. They believed they couldn't do that. That's not true. There's, a, there's un, endless examples of that. And occasionally, in the desirable amendment to be made by the judges or not at all, the judges, however, did not openly and directly assert their right to invent or change law as to procedure. Instead, they resorted to the aid of fiction to bring about practical change while not professionally altering the old forms of action, common law co-pleading, or uh, adding new forms, notice pleading. The old forms were adopted by new cases, by means of fictions, fictions as to procedure. We still have that. We just call it notice pleading, but it's so we could just say whatever we want instead of vetting it out to the nth degree. We just make up whatever the hell with lies we want. We just want to go into court and lie. Well, I didn't really understand. I believed I thought that was what it said. I believe that's what I seen. The officer planning the drugs in the car, creating okay. fictions often proved in the hands of judges instruments in accomplishing useful forms long before direct sanction could be obtained, long sanction could be obtained for such reforms in the legislature. But while the legal fiction may, for the first time being, uh, being have uh, served a useful function, we agree with Professor Hepburn that the price paid 
for it was very high. The first reason for employment of fiction has has no longer great influence. In very recent times, the defects of law and procedure have been largely remedied by legislation. There is now, in most jurisdictions, a comprehensively uh, simplified system, notice pleading, either regulated in its details by express legislative enactment or regarded by the rules of court framed by the judges under their ex, uh, express authority for the legislature. There is now comprehensively, uh, comparatively little need for judges to employ fictions as to just to that subject. But the fiction phrase, phases, and fictions reasons formally employed are not entirely banished from the law books. As a second reason for the use of fictions, via to conceal, there's all these footnotes, the fact that judges by their decisions are making or changing the substantive law. There are at least two, though there are there are at least three different theories as to judicial lawmaking. The judges the judges cannot make law, but they merely discover and apply law which has always been existed. Two judges can and do make new law on subjects not covered by the previous decisions, but that the judges cannot unmake old law cannot even change an existing rule or judge-made law. Three, judges can and do make new law and also can and do under unmake old law, the law previously laid down by themselves or by the judicial processes. We adopt the third view, but for the present purpose, it is not absolutely essential to consider whether the third view is to be preferred to the second for those who adopt the second view generally concede that the large part of the law now administered by the courts administered by the courts consists of uh, additions made and rightfully made by judges in the way of super supplementing and enlarging the law as originally stated they're changing the law and how they do it they do it through procedure they don't they won't allow you to strike facts off the record they allow usage, custom, practice, or policy under the home rule to stand. They operate. They steal. They allow theft, stealing, rape, rob, murder, and treatment of inmates and all these things bad. That's how they change the law. It's called a fiction, and all those fictions are subject to question and examination and testing. Right. And this is where we need to get mentally. Now, this is the class. I go through all this. This is why the freedom – the truth movement needs to really come around here and, and and go do this themselves, get to class, whatever, but gotta raise yourself to a higher standard. Cause we get the same twenty seven cases on right to travel, but all these other things going on. And then you got the automobile and you got Firestone tires yeah. on here and bending right. brakes and gates well, it's, it, it's a game, there's strategy, things things uh change and they, and they play differently at different times and it's like it trends they go in they go out they move to the left they move to the right upfield downfield this is a constantly evolving process so now here's in yellow now i'll read this last paragraph i'm done with this a legal fiction is the device which attempts to conceal the fact that a judicial decision is not in harmony with the existing law or your rights the facts of the case the procedure the custom, usage, practice, policy, the home rule, 
federal, state law, federal regulations, federal code or federal regulations, legal fictions. The only use of the purpose upon the last analysis of any legal fiction is to uh, normally conceal the fact that the law is undergone a change at the hands of the judges. But now, employ the expression legal fiction is significantly any assumption which conceals or affects to conceal the fact that a rule of law has been undergone alteration, its limit, uh, letter remaining unchanged, its operation being modified. Then, after referring to the English case law and the Roman Respirazana, whatever, I can't even pronounce it, as relating to fictions, and it goes on to Roman and English fictions and so forth, and that's all I'm going to read on that. You take the first two pages and you try to identify. You don't take all of it. If you can digest it, great. If you're not, you take the first two pages. And can I find fictions on the record? I just simply go over the first two pages. I look for everything that's happened. Can I find the? Can I find? Can I find the fiction? If I can, with the rules here, there's only two or three of them, or whatever, four of them. There's it's pretty simple. Two pages. If I can find a fiction, then I make the issue. Do I consent to the fiction? Or do I de dissent? Or do I consent or do I object to the fiction? If the fiction damages my rights, I'm going to object like all kind of, I'm going to squeal like tin seals, you know? That's, that's why I made the class the way it did. It's intense. And it's not. there's not much out there that's even remotely close to this, if anything at all. That's why it's so long. I'm trying to get out there to get the reprogramming of the mind I actually went when I was doing this. I had to go through a learning curve because this was when I'm reading this chapter uh, trial notebook. I'm putting together my case. So what's in here was in, in actually in my first trial notebook. I had like four of them, but for the one case. So there's a twenty one. There's twenty one things just in part of my trial notebook going to court. Trial by notebook, King's Highway, the commissioners, I got the stop and frisk, Powers case that deals with uh, the the magistrate Devers giving me an outline of how to make the She literally gave me the outline how to make the case. The Zins case for immunity, municipal home rule, of course, uh, Broken Duty. Broken Duty is a book on Broken Duty, a historical guide to the failure of disclosure of evidence by higher prosecutors. There's some badass stuff in here. I couldn't have I couldn't have done it without it. I could have found the cases, but I couldn't put it in context fast enough with all with ease. And that's why it's in here. It shows you all the areas that they break the. As a matter of fact, that's where that case is. Where that, where the. Uh, this is where the. Uh, this is where the. Um, the. Court kicked this guy. If I'm not mistaken, in here, the court kicked this guy up because they wouldn't give him a final appeal of order on that uh, where they couldn't get funding. They went and they audited the cases. That's in here, I think. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's in here. I'll go down here and scroll real quick here. Cases annotation.
State v. Uh, Larkins, Tiger County prosecutors failed to disclose exculpatory evidence, which you've got to have, police records, which include one eyewitness descriptions of the robber uh, that did not match defendant two, description uh, by the cooperating witness, which did not match the defendant three, that a witness who has present at the planning of the crime did not identify defendant as being involved <clears throat> and who said she saw both robbers and the defendant had already left. When you read this, you got to say, what the hell's going on in the background here? And will the county fail to disclose any key capital case witness have been arrested? That's because the uh, that's because the money come in first, and they got the money, so they had to prosecute anybody possible, so they could keep the money. That's my opinion on that. But I'm not. I'm I'm gonna hide their grass. With that being said, my friends, our notebook, exhibits, fictions. Trial notebook, understanding human memory, procedural memory, facts, etymology and usage, right off of Wikipedia. It's just powerful stuff. Right on Wikipedia and get it for free, etymology and usage. Uh, the memory, on dealing with memories. Espotic memory. <clears throat> and then procedural memory. When it comes to facts, notebook forms. So that's the first class. Then you got the civil rights class, and the civil rights class is basically laying out thirty-three chapters in civil rights class, laying out how to bring this thing to a civil rights complaint. I laid all the groundwork in the first in the first class. For me, here's what I had to do. Here's my mindset, what I was going to put on paper. And indeed, when you get to my complaint and the cover sheet, cover sheet, I actually see document number one. Is that it? No, that's the cover sheet. I, I actually show the video of how to write, how I did my cover sheet and why. So there's a video on the civil rights complaint. I walk through the cover sheet on how to fill out the cover sheet, which was the first step by and large. So I want to go to the next document, and that's in the civil rights complaint, document number two. Then I then I go through then I go through all 41 pages of my federal complaint why I wrote it, including the causes of action. And it, it shows the stamp shows the stamp up top. I make videos. I walk through all this. I'm making videos. And when you read this, you're like, <laughs> when I read anyways, I laugh because some of the things like, wow, did I do that? Anyhow, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done here. It's going on midnight. We've been in here for like 16 weeks. Yep. Ten after eleven, but it's been good. Yep. We still got five, six, and Truth Bug, and us. Well, Rocco dropped off, but uh, could I make? Uh, can I uh, ask if you will take a look at something to make a transcript of the call? 
It's uh, real easy. You're, what do you mean? You've got a Google uh, email address, right? Google email? I don't have a clue. I don't know. You don't have a, do you have a Gmail address? Uh, I don't think so. If I do, I have Oh, darn. Okay. All right. Well. Okay. I got bumped. I'm back. Huh. We waited got, for you. Uh, We've been okay. worried about well, you, Rocco. Well, <laughs> my my phone is hot, and I don't know what's going on. I, I can't access anything else. This phone is or this call is taking up a lot of juice, I guess. Um. Anyway, so and we're gonna obviously after four hours. Yeah, I think we're going to uh, plug this hole and, and and have to you know set sail another day. All right. Right, because that's long enough. Yeah, it is, but it's been good. And then, Craig, I will I'll talk to you about uh, that other development. Uh, the, the fellow's name is George, so. And he has worked, and he has worked with the truth movement. So he he knows um the trends. He knows what's needed out there. So he is. This is good. This is a this is a good guy. In law enforcement, he, he knows what's going on. He knows the the corruption, the fraud. That's why he's a PI on the side. So he's he's playing he's playing both, like I do. I'm I'm I'm, you know, there's issues it quote in the system and out of the system, and we got to negotiate our own path and decide what we want to do at any given time. So, well, there's a lot of good law enforcement people. So. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of there's a lot of good people in in the, in the operation of government too. They're not all vampires and warlocks. Sure, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing about it is, the thing about it is, if if people are in, and I happen to agree with you, there are a lot of good people, but if they, and most of them don't even know that they're sitting right in the big middle of fraud, okay, theft, <laughs> uh, deceit. Right. And it, it is my position that any employee of the state, local, city, federal, whatever, fill-in-the-blank government, if they know and are aware of fraud and deceit and breaking laws, they, they, they need to, uh, it's their duty to correct the matter. It, it is is their absolute duty. They swore the oath of office when they took that position. And I'm a little bit tough on, on the employees because um, if they see fraud, you know, or, or breaking the laws, they, they, need to, they need to report that. They need to work on it, fixing it inside yeah. the system. I was told by a little birdie that uh, at nighttime somebody goes into the count the municipal court records building and um, tampers with cases while while the building and the security system goes down and somebody goes in there and tampers with the records and then stuff discovery comes up missing and oh was, my god I was told by a little birdie mm-hmm. that yeah and it's worse than that. And here where I live, they have there's a there's a hell of a political fight, and I don't see Republican or Democrat. I see I righteousness, either. truth, facts, honesty. I don't see Republican Democrats uh, tilting the scales of justice. I don't see that. That's just vomiting. 
And we have that real bad here in this county. We have Republican, Democrat. I don't see that. I'm so opposed. The idea of that makes me want to just puke. You're supposed to be righteous and righteous doing and not, you know, doing bad things. And they, there's a division between Republicans and Democrats, and they run things in opposition and fight each other constantly. They're always seeding for power, and it over it, it, it interferes with the operation of what they should be doing constantly. That's what my experience is. That's what I've seen externally, you know, looking at other cases of people and stuff. And they 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 buy themselves as Republican Democrat. I don't see that at all. I see righteous rights ruling and justice. They see Democrat Republican and how many people we can scan alive to keep our jobs. That ultimately right. political parties. That just makes me want to puke my guts out. I hate that. I hate that more than anything. The idea is so alien to my being. It's not even funny. It's just sick. Yeah, well, you see it on uh, you. Know, you see it all the way up to D.C. right now, yeah. and I, I don't see. I, I think we have a one-party system. I really do. Whether it, you know, it might be, oh yeah, red, blue, and green, uh, but that's not the way it really is. It is a one-party system. Is is the way I see it because. The politics of it, you know, that what they're doing, and again, like you said, there are many, many, many good people both in and out of these agencies, okay? Yeah. That they, see, they decided to sit in that seat of that employee. You didn't, nor did I, okay? And, And what they should, well, they do have a duty. They have a duty to serve. They have an obligation to serve to the best of their ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a, I find it so offensive. It just, 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 I mean, it just, it's just terrible. It gets pretty serious. It gets pretty serious. Well, hey guys, if you want to find Craig, you can find him on if if y'all aren't. Familiar with Craig. He is found on YouTube under Craig Kirk uh, School of Law and then Craig's uh, Auto. Tell me again, Craig's Auto. Law Jams and Craig Discount Auto Repair. Yeah, Law Jams on YouTube and Craig's Discount Auto Repair. And are we going to say Adios Amigos? Yeah. And. I just uploaded a video for a Craig Discount Auto Repair uh, last night. I had a war with the toilet for three days. I could not <laughs> defeat the toilet. I want to share. There's. I made a video of it. I want to share. I want to share with everybody how I defeated the toilet. I couldn't. I couldn't plunger enough. I destroyed one plunger. I couldn't put enough chemicals. I couldn't <laughs> do enough to win the war. I almost gave up. And then I realized I had a Toro leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Oh but wow! I got, yeah, I stuck. I lit that thing up. It, you know, it's gas. It's a uh, two two cycle oil, gas and oil. Mm-hmm. I lit that thing up, and the bathroom had all the whole room smells like gas and oil, like a weed eater. <laughs> I stuck that down in that na- that nasty water and turned that thing wide open. <laughs> I made a video of it. It's, I got oh, splashed yeah. in the face. There's a video of it. Oh no! That's You're a nut. I love I it. <laughs> I've seen I've seen these rotor rooter guys come out and do that to the big sewer pipes with a big uh, 
But the compressor is what it is, and just yeah, compressor. I'm about to say, get I'm, you, yeah. you of all people, the leaf blower. I guess it's <laughs> o- octane. Octane wins over psi any day, right? Now I've or got a Hyla vacuum oh. that's pretty high velocity. I, I'm going to remember that. It, it both blows and sucks, so I'm going to remember I, that. I use the I use the Toro leaf blower, the leaf blower, and it uh, cool. And then when I pulled it out, it was wide open throttle, and it just blew water all over my face. Oh, crap. And all over. Oh, uh, I thought I was going to puke my guts yeah. out, but anyhow. That's, right. on, that's, that's it, on YouTube. It, and you got it unplugged, right? Yeah, yeah, it blew it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had, uh, rest in peace, my giant goldfish passed away. My daughter decided, well, i got to flush him. And he was a big, ah, oh, my little fish, and... And uh, she flushed him, and he got stuck down in there, and everything else got stuck down there, and it was a, it's a disgusting video. <laughs> okay, we will leave okay, guys, on there. Next week we are going to be back on Tuesday night, seven central, eight eastern, um, when we get organized and we we get our act together and our shit together. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna have <laughs> uh, a, um, excuse my French here. Uh, we're going to have an open roundtable call in, yeah. in Rocco. Craig, when's that going to be? Well, yeah, when, whenever. Well, okay. Whenever. Uh, yeah, because I'll talk to. Uh, I'd like to. Have, I want you to talk to George. Maybe we could have George and and you know a few other people. Who knows? Because yeah, it's sort of a roundtable. You know, everybody, China. You know, with with prior vetting, of course. Because we just don't want an insane getaway, uh, you know. Yeah, we don't want we don't want that. We don't want wild horses dragging subject matter away. We just we just don't want to do it. But anyway, yeah, there's a vetting process. I went to the I went to the mature and I wanted to kind of expose people more and more to it. And... Right. Oh, and here's the thing: if you want to be in an and Part of the roundtable, the vetting process, contact me on Facebook, Rocco Vanzetti, R-O-C-K-O, space, V-A-N, space, Z-E-T-T-I. So send me a, uh, a request. Tell me, you know, tell me, you know, feedback on the show, and uh, there you go. And, and you can also reach me at genociderder at gmail.com. That's genociderder at gmail.com. And that's a backup. Uh, when Craig gets backed up, call me, the clerk, you know, and uh, and I can help get your message to the Craig. I can uh, put the subject matter of roundtabling, whatever, you and your idea, up for a vote. So we'll see. So there you have it. Rocco Vanzetti on Facebook and genociderder at gmail.com. Get a hold of me there. And I think we will uh, put this baby to sleep tonight. Right here. All right, man. I appreciate you guys hanging out and listening to my jib. So. Sure. The cut of your jib. Okay. Get some sleep. <laughs> I will talk to you later. Appreciate okay, you. Yeah. And thank you to all the listeners. Yeah, yeah. thanks. I yeah, thanks, everyone. Sitting around, taking time, listening. Absolutely. All right, my I'm off here. Talk to you later. See ya. Okay. All Good right. night, all. all right. Good night. 
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.